live from the Lord Ted Goodwin divot at the Sydney Cricket Ground. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. This is the Rugby League Cemetery and we are going back to the 70s for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you with us. And we're looking at the drawn grand final of 1977, St George 9, Parramatta 9, in front of 65,959 at the SCG on the 17th of September, 1977. Now, this is the first prong in a two-parter on the Rugby League Cemetery. We're doing the drawn grand final of 77 this week. And then next week, we're doing the drawn grand final of 78 between Cronulla and Manly. So uh, if you love 70s football, this is the place to be over the next fortnight uh, as we dig into these two games. Of course, there had never been a drawn Premiership Grand Final in the New South Wales Rugby League until 1977. And then they had two in a row, uh, which is just, you know, just curious. Uh, It's the kind of curiosity that we're a little bit drawn towards here on this program. Uh, Gazzy, I really enjoyed watching this, but the thing that really jumps out to me about it is that it, it... it almost bears no resemblance to the kind of football we see today. Yep, absolutely, Morgs. Couldn't couldn't agree with you more about that. It's just it's it's such an unusual thing to watch, even compared to you know, say, I, I would say we've watched the '89 Grand Final, we've watched the '87 Grand Final. I would say that even those games are much more like today's game than the game in the '70s. In a way, it, it's mm. so even though they're much closer to the 70s, I suppose. It, it, it's this, it really does seem that the 80s was a time of innovation. That these 70s, it was this really scrappy, scrappy sort of contest, sort of not giving an inch and bite and nail and scrap. And then all of a sudden, now and then, this wonderful burst of action would occur and there would be this scintillating piece of play or this scintillating bit of action or something very unusual even, but it would just yeah. sort of burst in a moment out of out of very much a grafting, grinding sort of contest, wouldn't it? It was very, very different to even sort of late 80s football. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's the thing that jumped out to me is that, it, yeah, even football that's closer to this than it is to now looks... Uh, looks different this and you're right it's just fighting over every inch and just get your way up the field a little bit play possession play territory and try and get yourself in striking range or every now and again score from say halfway um, when there doesn't seem to be anything on uh that these two sides came into this game with a bit of a, a well with vastly different histories uh so george of course were the at this point kind of the princes of the league uh, admitted in 1921, they'd won the premiership in 41, in 49, and then every year from 56 to 66, they finished up the top of the table for all of them, as nearly as I can tell, uh, 11 premierships in a row. Uh, and they'd kept making the finals after that. They hadn't really been, they hadn't won the comp again, but they it hadn't been this real fall away. They made the finals every year from 1951 to 1973. Every season they were in the semis. Uh, they missed it in 74 and then were straight back in uh, and had finished third on the table the year before and got knocked out in the semi-finals. Whereas Parramatta admitted in 1947 
had won spoons in the following years. So we've just gone through how many premierships St. George had won. Can I just take you through how many wooden spoons Parramatta had won? 47, 52, 54, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 70, 72, 74. History success. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's uh, it's funny because that, that's that's really good. I'm glad you did that that research because I knew Parramatta wasn't this was the start of their sort of period from here on but I didn't quite realize it was that bad and and that's something that someone watching this game today or listening to this probably wouldn't realize because Parramatta now is considered a, a very like strong and, and and almost a traditional club because it's so yeah. far been in the competition so so long we've got teams that came in in the 80s the 90s and even the 2000s but but at that time it's sort of the equivalent of maybe you know like the the titans playing the the, the roosters yeah that's um, it or, and that's what the I'm... roosters now you know in a year or two more success are having a run playing against the titans in a in a grand final in 2023 or something which would be such a uh a different feel to what I thought this game would looking on it. Now you think, Oh yeah, two traditional heavyweights and Sydney rivals playing across, but that's not what that, that was. No, that's it. And that's the thing is that Parramatta were just at the start of their rise, having been a joke for basically for 30 years. And they'd made the grand final the year before and got knocked off by Manly. Uh, but this in 1977, they were superb. They won 13 of their first 14 games. They only lost three times all year, finished first on 38 points. Uh, but somehow, the, and so having been the dominant minor premiers, uh, then lost to St George in the major semi um, and had to beat East 13-5 in the preliminary final to get into this game. Uh, Mick Cronin, by the way, in, uh, in 1977, 101 goals, seven tries and two field goals for 225 points. Fairly good yeah. going. 101 goals. What, did he have 400 attempts? <laughs> <laughs> Watched him kick in the grand final. He didn't hit him well. <laughs> we'll get on. I suspect we're going to talk about goal yeah. kicking at some point. Yeah. Uh, St. George hadn't had a bad year either, by the way. They finished second, 17 wins, five losses, 34 points. Uh, they won eight in a row from round 15 to 22 to finish off the regular season. So they really stormed home. They didn't lose a game from July. In, uh, and this, this grand final is the only one they didn't win. Um, That's a so, wonderful effort. Uh, it, it's a, that, that throws another contrast, though, into the challenge, doesn't it? Because... Um, what you sort of got is you've got this traditional heavyweight that, that that's won all these comps and is this powerhouse and you've got this sort of up and comer battling them. But St. George conversely were a very young team in this game. You know, the bloody Bath babes, if anyone's ever heard that said, that sort of gets raised every six months in the media right through till they finally won under Wayne. That best thing Wayne, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wayne Bennett was get rid of talking about Bath babes by winning no. out of the competition. <laughs> it's just one of the, like one of those said tropes ever. And I'm glad no one said it during the game, but, but, um, sort of to get back on point is that whilst they were this traditional powerhouse and you think they go in playing very much a sort of a little brother sort of feel to it, Parramatta probably have a side with a bit more experience in, in first grade that this is quite a young St. George team, obviously a very good one, but that, that's a sort of a weird feel as well. So you've got this powerhouse club playing with a very young, inexperienced team. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, but they, I, I guess the point there is that they just steamed into the finals, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, having had a said that they'd been good all year, but they really hit hit some gear. Uh, they beat East nineteen fourteen in the first week of the semis, then beat Parramatta ten five, uh, and and got into the grand final. It, it's it would have been hard to know in this game who to be on, uh, with Parramatta having been really the dominant minor premiers, but St George with all the form, 
and uh, and having beaten them a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, the two games between the, uh, the two sides, St. George won the first one 21-8 in round two, uh, which was Parra's only loss in the first half of the season. Uh, and Parra got the second one 11-10 in round 12. I might take you through the sides quickly. Uh, Ted Goodwin, fullback for St. George. Wings, Steve Butler and John Chapman. The centres, Graham Quinn and Robert Finch. The halves, Rod McGregor and Mark Shulman. Uh, and the forwards, Rod Reddy, John Jansen, Robert Stone, Craig Young, Steve Edge and Bruce Starkey. Steve Edge, the captain. And the bench, Tony Quirk and Tony Graham. And, of course, coached by Harry Bath. Harry Bath in the suit on the sideline. Uh, Terry Fernley coaching Parramatta in the Polar Fleece, which was a nice look. And the um, Aviators. And the Aviators, yeah, it's a good look, that. Uh, Parramatta, Phil Mann at fullback. The wings, Jim Porter and Graham Atkins. The centres, Ed Salkowitz and Mick Cronin. The halves, Mark Levy and John Colk. The forwards, Ray Price, Ray Higgs, Jeff Gerrard, John Baker, Ron Hilditch and Graham Olling. And the bench, Dennis Fitzgerald and John Peard. Uh, John Peard uh, named at 5'8 for this side and injured himself the night before the match. Uh, strained a muscle on the night before game day and was replaced by a six foot seven fullback by the name of Phil Mann. Yeah, he was big unit, wasn't he? he was, yeah. yeah, sort of today that would be quite an unusual piece of fight. You don't get, all that. You don't get well, it's sort of anywhere. Like, yeah. a lot of yeah. footballers. No, the NBA yeah. is sort of where you expect to see six yeah. or seven people. Yeah, basically. Uh, Ruckman in the AFL, maybe at the, uh, at the very yeah. end, is about all you're going to get just batting the ball in off those bouncings, and that's about it. It's, it's hard to be athletic when you're that big. Like, it's just. It's yeah, so well, that's right. <laughs> It's it's quite a move. Um, I, I was yeah. when they said he's six foot seven. I went, Hang on, what? And then I looked it up. And sure enough, a yeah. uh, couple of things on the teams just quickly is I. What's one thing I noted is this is a bit of a legacy game. So you have out of the sort of um, the twenty six players who start the game, you actually have four who went on to have their kids play in the NRL era. In mm. um, in Goodwin, who had three, yes, uh, which is quite impressive. Uh, then uh, Finch. And then young, and then ready. So um, just as a, a brief aside, so you know, there's a bit of a bit of history there. These guys, you know, sort of strong Sydney clubs. There's a, a lot of uh, progeny going on to play in the NRL was, era from this day. I was going to make this point. This St George side, um, yeah, lots of progeny in the in, mm. in the last few years. Now, they they, they run out to. I, I couldn't believe how full the SCG was for this game. Mm. Sixty-five thousand nine hundred and fifty-nine, um, and you look. They pan across the crowd, and it is just a wall of people. You can't. I, I've never seen. I've never seen an Australian crowd packed in like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it was noticeably busy. Noticeably, it was a really, really good-looking crowd. I sort of had to look twice and go, "Geez, there's a lot of people in there." Even compared to grand finals, sort of played later, which you you sort of always assume that the crowds go up, and it, that this was packed to the rafters, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and I guess just because of the setup of the ground, there probably there wouldn't have been a lot of seating as such. There would have been a lot of... They, they just kind of crammed mm. people in. Uh, I can't imagine it was particularly comfortable. And I can't imagine many people had a particularly good view. Um, There's very few good views at that, that ground, if you want to watch rugby league. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the only people who did have a, view, a good view refused to watch the game. That is Harry Bath, who we might, we might talk a bit more about this later. But he spends most of the game either smoking or uh, with his head in his hands, just kind of unable to watch, chewing his fingernails and this sort of thing. Rex Mossop at the start of the game says, uh, Harry Bath, he, there's, there's footage of Harry Bath with like smoke coming out of his mouth. 
And Rex says, uh, you, you, he'll go through two packets of cigarettes over a course of a game like this, <laughs> which just, you know, says something about the era, doesn't it? Yeah. kind of just really... <laughs> I think he speculates an extra time that's his fifth packet. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's very funny how much he doesn't watch too because they're not ever behind. <laughs> no. At no. At no point are they losing this game. Um, and he looks totally sick and like possibly like he's about to die even at sort of 9-0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, I said, he literally looks like he's going to cark it. And, and when, just, you know. And yeah. like when St. George are taking goal kicks and stuff. Like it's not as if, yeah. Um, uh, it's it's very good. Uh, it was quite a good performance from Harry Bath. You don't see a lot. I'd have been of getting out. Of, I'd, I'd have been getting out if I was him. Based on how he was reacting that game, I just think he needed to get out. Like what's yeah, he going to do? Something, going to yeah, do something, something else. else. Yeah, go and work in an yeah. office or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you wanted to talk, I think, about a couple of the players that jumped out of you out to you from this game. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I won't go through too many. Just a couple of quick ones. Um, but I think we should, given the time frame. Um, I thought Craig Young, who's pretty well remembered now, had a really good game. Uh, he's a young front rower in this game. He showed he was a really he showed a lot of toughness and a bit of cleverness around the ball. That you, mm. you notice him as well. That he was. Yeah, he was good. I was a bit disappointed. He didn't he didn't run at the line bum on as much as I thought he might, as much as I was hoping. But because um, that that was of course his trademark. But uh, no, he he was. Uh, they, the, all of the St. George forwards, I thought, mm. were really clever with the ball. There was a lot of little short passing mm. and they held the ball up. Like some of those blokes held the ball up and timed their passes better than halfbacks in the rugby, in the NRL today, you know? Because they had a yeah, real absolutely. space and all this kind of and timing and then it'd just be hold, hold, bang. Uh, yeah, very yeah. much hold, hold, and if you didn't get what you liked, then you took the front rowers' run. It was sort of yeah, waiting, right. looking, and if you didn't yeah. do it, you, you're big. You're a big bloke, so on like well, a halfback, you get you don't get smashed. You go right, oh, she's not on, and you take the run. But the, the first law is space and pass, things. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and like clever it's little short like passes. Yeah, yeah. The first look is to find a good pass or a clever pass, and if there's nothing good on, then you take the run rather yeah. than sort of mindless droning it up. But yeah, it, I, I thought he was good. Um, I thought Lord Ted had a good game. We'll talk about some of his moments later on, but he was he was yeah. sort of noticeable out there. He good when I'll leave some of his bigger incidents to later on. Um, bit of a bit of a one, an unusual one for you. So this is someone I don't think people will remember. The um, front row for Parramatta, Olling. Now he had a really good game. Uh, he might yeah. have been the thirteen. Yep. He had was really dangerous with the ball. He made about four or five half breaks. Maybe maybe a proper break and offloaded the ball a few times. He had a really was he thirteen? Have you got the numbers there? Yeah, thirteen. Yeah, he. he I, I've never heard of him. He's not someone that gets brought up a lot. He he had a. Did you notice him as yeah, well? He no, just he made did. a lot of really strong carries against you know in a grand final. You know, it's a bit of a mark to have a game like that. We really troubled yeah. them and got through the line a little bit. No, he did. He and, ran the ball really well in a forward pack, particularly in the first half that uh, was coming second. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were behind in the game. And, and like you said, St. George had a lot more creativity and they found it easier to get downfield because their forwards were running off clever passes and short balls, like you mentioned, where Parramatta were a bit more one out. And he found ways to, to dent them anyway and to and to get through and, and offload the ball. So he's uh, one. And my last one uh, is Ray Price. I'm going to talk about him in more detail at the end of his career, but I, it, his game in this game needs to be noted. Uh, he's my man of the match. He had an outstanding game. Look, early on, what you see in the first half is probably that every time there was a half break or a kick downfield or, or, or they nearly made a break, Ray Price was the guy who got around someone's bootlaces. He was the guy who dived on a loose ball. He was the guy who 
was downfield chasing the kick. Every scrappy piece of play that could have gone badly for Parramatta um, that St George could have had a chance on, he was the person who was inevitably there to stop it in unusual positions. Like, why is he back there? Why is he over here? Why is he on the side? Why is he on the wing? He just seemed to be there. And then as the game sort of got longer, what's very noticeable is he got better the longer that game went in terms of his impact with the ball. All of a sudden, late in the game, he was breaking tackles. He was making half breaks. He sets up the equaliser, which we'll, we'll go through in detail later. He sets up the sort of try that equalises the game with a stunning piece of football, an aggressive piece of play. And then an extra time sets up two, pretty much Parramatta's only two chances by basically charging into the line, offloading, or he goes through himself once with a bit of a line break. And the other one, he, he, he runs through the line, offloads, and they make a big break off his pass. So it's sort of, as the longer this game goes, the more impact he has with the ball and with his, his, his sort of power running and offloading to guys in space. And not, almost everything starts to come off him and he starts to really will them back into the game. Um, it was outstanding. There's very few players who have those sorts of impacts on teams. Um, Gordon Tallis was someone who used to be able to will his team into it by making really big plays. Um, ben Kennedy was another. Sam Burgess is one. They're very rare players. These sort of guys that the game was getting longer and harder and he just started doing things that nobody else was doing when not much was happening that really dragged his team to stay in this. It was it was interesting to watch him because you probably like me. I mean, everybody you know people talk about Ray Price and all this sort of thing, but you don't. Mm. We're, we're, neither of us have probably watched much of him. It, it was it was interesting to see what and how athletic he was. He was wonderfully athletic, runner of the ball, and really evasive, mm. and had a, just a half a half a yard of pace, and could change direction quickly, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, he, he was, was getting a, out of tackles, wasn't he? Like yeah, he was out he was of tackles very, with his swivel and step and pace. You didn't, yeah. you didn't see him getting knocked over in the first attempt very often. Um, yeah, he was. He was very impressive. You're right. Uh, should we get into the you game a little? Man of the match, you reckon? Yeah, he's in the, the, in, in, the in the hunt. Yeah, he's re- well and truly in the hunt. Yeah. Um, who have you got? Who, who's your other? You got anyone? Anyone I've missed that you would have chucked on your list? Then? Uh, well, I thought uh, I thought Bruce Starkey had a very good game. Uh, but he is a friend of mine, so I've, I've, I'm a little bit biased in that. But he was giving the Churchill. I'm giving the Churchill. No, but he had a very good game, uh, yeah. as well, uh, and made an incredible break at the first, right at the start of extra time from dummy half. But uh, but I was watching him fairly closely because I I know him and yeah, the, it was a really good example of how forwards played in that era, you know, because he yeah. was. He was passing at the line. He was taking those hard carries. He was turning up all over the field in cover defence, all this kind of stuff. It's just, mm. it's funny how, you know, that, that they weren't stuck in one part of the field. You just had to do what you had to do, you know, and they, and they would get, they'd be, you know, he was playing front row, but he was making tackles on the left. He was making tackles on the right. He made the cover tackle on Ray Price that went for, <clears throat> for when Price basketballs it over his head for the Parramatta try, you know, like, all of those guys, and the, and the St. George forwards were very good at this state. They had a lot of different bits and pieces they could get you with. Um, yeah, that, that was very noticeable. And you're right. That, that thing about not being stuck is really, really important because I think, um, you know, that sort of came in in the 80s and, and, and Warren Ryan was a big advocate of sticking people. Um, you know, he was a great attacking coach as well, but he used to stick people in channels because it made it easier to defend and work things out. And it certainly does. Like knowing where different players are really helps. But what, what you find in these games, I think, what you get emphasised more is guys that have that bit of desire, a bit of cleverness as well, but that bit of desire and that extra effort are very noticeable because you're not stuck in one channel. You really do have the ability to sort of 
bludge, hide, or not get involved if you want to, or the ability to be everywhere. So you don't go, you don't get like, you know, rather than Ray Price having to stand right in the middle because he's the lock forward, he is allowed to go all over the field and chooses to. And I'm sure plenty of other forwards didn't cover that amount of ground. You know, if we were GPS tracking, we'd probably find a lot of the other lock forwards probably weren't covering the ground that, that, that him and some of the really top forwards were. So you get this capacity that you really do notice these guys who make those extra efforts and do that extra stuff because they've got the capacity to influence the game and get across the field. They're not being prohibited to sticking where they are. Yeah, that's right. No, that's, mm. that's, that's true. Um, yeah. So it was interesting to watch the, um, watch the forward play because it was, it was quite, it was probably the most noticeably different part of the game. Uh, I guess we might get into the game a little bit. Um, the, the first half is, uh, I mean, to, to kind of tell you the story of the game, St. George jump out nine nil, and at half time, and then Parramatta score their own nine points in the second half and, and get it equal. Um, it's, it's a big crowd and a big occasion, but again, and we've talked about this a bit, the commentary is very low key. There's no, there's no hype. They don't even say, Rex doesn't even say he's the kickoff, you know, he just says, he just kind of talks about a couple of things and says, watch the defense, it will be fairly violent, I would imagine, but which, you know, <laughs> sort of whets the appetite. But, yeah. um, but there was no, there was no great hoopla about the, um, th- there was no, this is the decider. You know, there was none of that kind of thing. It was just, they just go out and play. Uh, and even at the end when the match is drawn, there's no kind of, oh, it's a drawn grand final. This is incredible. You know, it, um, but we'll talk a bit about that because mostly they're trying to work out what happened, what was, what was going to happen. <laughs> but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, I thought that was interesting. But the thing that jumped out about the first, particularly the first 20 minutes, but it's, it's true of the whole game. It's just the amount of niggle. Like yeah. there is just, and you realise watching this game that the real action is in the ruck and in the tackles. Like when the, the closer you watch the, re, you realise that there's all these like, there's those little slaps and little like, mm. it, like little kind of forearms and head slams and there's stomps and people kind of, you just, oh, I've just like accidentally stepped on your calf and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, it was really, um, it was a really spiteful game in that way without a fight ever breaking out. Yeah. Which goes to show that it wasn't necessarily out of character. Like the fights didn't break out because this was how the game was played. These people weren't doing abhorrent things that, you know, Oh, you've done this to me. I can't believe it. I'm going to deck you. It's like, no, this was rugby league. Like this is what what happened. Um, Very much so. You know what, what is a bit of a marker of, of all this is that when, when I first watched it, I wondered why the referee was standing next to the ruck and not back the five meters. And then it sort of occurred to me, he spent a lot of time at the ruck rather than going back to five for quite a few of the tackles. And it, it yeah. occurred to me pretty quickly that it's for what you just spoke about is that all the action was in the ruck, that you needed to be close to see who was gouging whose eyes and stomping on whose yeah. head and kicking. And um, it, it's funny, you know, I reckon if we watch this with modern eyes, like if we watch this with the angles you have now and had the ability to freeze it there, rewind, look oh, at other yeah. angles, I reckon you and I would have about 20 other incidents to talk about. Cause I kept thinking, I reckon I saw a stiff arm reckon I saw a punch, reckon I saw a kick, but you can't yeah. really quite catch it and they don't go back and Rex doesn't think it's important enough to sort of ever mention it. That's the other so, thing, isn't it? Like they never I, I talk think, about any yeah. of these things. It's not, it's not remarked upon and that goes to your point about it just being how football was played because, yeah. you know, you get guys, you get guys biting and kicking and stomping and all of this and they just, it's just as you were. There's no, there's no interest in that stuff. It's not considered worthy of comment. 
we'll, we'll get to. I'm sure we'll get to Goodwin at some point. But he, when he finally does go off the field after quite a few uh, hard hard day hard day at the office, quite a few times here, he is actually goes off. Um, as they say, uh, he's bleeding heavily from the mouth. He's bleeding from the mouth. He goes off having been nowhere near where the camera was. The camera's on a kick. Yeah. And he doesn't field the kick. He isn't in the shot. He isn't near the ball. And his team is defending. And he's gone off pissing out blood from his mouth. And nobody asks how. There's no question. There's no, no. one goes, what happened? They go, oh, he's pissing out blood from the mouth. He didn't have run the ball. He was defending. Yeah. He isn't near where the ball ends up. He isn't involved in the actual play that causes him to go off. So off camera somewhere, something has happened that leaves him pissing blood from his mouth and staggering. And... There's no comment of it. Like, no. Nobody. There's no. I, I want to find out what. I want to see if anyone knows a Goodwin or a St George player can tell me now what, what happened, happened to him. him. Because, yeah. Or anyone. Anyone knows Bronx Goodwin can find out for us. But it just. I don't quite understand. No. Um, and, and and that's just the best example of what you're talking about. Is imagine now we, someone has come staggering off the field, the fullback, pissing out blood out of his mouth. It, it's, he wasn't involved in the play. Someone is going to ask what happened. Or <laughs> what happened to him. Yeah. What's doing? It's oh, unbelievable, I... isn't it? it? Matter of factly, yeah, he's gone off. He's bleeding he's heavily off, from the bleeding mouth, from the staggering mouth. a bit. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. come back. No. <laughs> they lose their fullback. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, the, the, yeah. That's you're right, and, and they never they never try and uh, we still to this day don't know what happened, and the, and the, they never attempt to, oh. to 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 show it. Um, Best I can tell, he tried to tackle the kicker. So I'm to think what's going to have happened is he ran up on the kicker, the kicker kicked it, and someone's punched him. Like, oh, that play, they have to have. He doesn't, there's no, I can't work out what else could have happened, but there's no even thought to find this out because that's, this is just football. Yeah, that, that's, oh, well. <laughs> I yeah. play, and that, the thing about this, the, the thing about this whole game is that it's, this, it's not like, it's not curated in any way and there is, and things are just allowed to pass and things are allowed to happen that have really significant bearing on the game. And, and a part of that is from, is, comes from the rules because now we've been spending, we've been trying to over the last, um, over the course of this journey through the cemetery, we've been trying to find out what on earth was the rule about scrums and who got scrums for certain incidents. Mm. Now I originally thought that when John Gibbs fed a scrum for Manly in the 1991 preliminary final against or the minor semi-final against Newtown, 81. Yep. Uh, 81. Sorry, that that was uh, that was just an out. That was a mistake that he pulled one over the referee's eyes. I'm in, I'm I'm now I now have to say that I was wrong yep. because all through this game, the team in their own half either knocks the ball on or goes into touch or gets tackled on last and gets the scrum feed. Yeah, that is one of the most stunning rules. So. There's a set. There's a five-minute period where both teams kick the ball out on the full from the 30-meter line and get the scrum feed, and hilariously, St George lose it. But Parramatta kick it out in the full outside the red line, like they kick it nearly into the grandstand on their 30-meter line to get the scrum feed and win it. So basically, they get an extra set of six for kicking the ball out on the full. And even if you say, okay, that's a contested possession situation, they basically go in. Given that they're feeding it, they probably go in with something approaching a 60 to 40% chance or 65-35. I'd love to see a stat on how many won the scrum with the feed, but let's say 60-40 for the sake of argument of getting the ball back from making an error. So if you make an error in your own half, you are better than even chance or at the very worst, an even chance of recovering the ball from it. It's unbelievable. Um, what What is the... 
why is that the rule? Um, I suggest it, it, that it's probably a hangover from uh, the unlimited tackle era. Yeah, but why? Like, why would why? <laughs> give in the unlimited t- tackle era. To me, there is even more incentive that if you if you fuck up, the other team should get the ball. <laughs> get the ball because like, they can't get it. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I, you can have the ball for the whole game. <laughs> I don't, it's it, it's absolutely bizarre. They, like, and rugby union can, doesn't have any rule like this, do they? Not to my that's knowledge. That's where we no. get our rules. I, no, I can't not think to my the rugby. Knowledge. Yeah, it, like as you say, like grievous mistakes in your own half, and you go, oh yeah, go again. And and tackles on there are sides tackled on last to get scrum feeds, yeah. So yeah. you can run well, the ball up the yeah. field and you can get tackled a yard short of halfway, and you'll get an you'll get another set for that. Yeah, well, th- there's a couple of things actually. I, I think it affects um, tactics a little bit that I want to talk to you about. Uh, I'll firstly just say if that rule was still in today, Jack White would be the most valuable player in the competition <laughs> due to all these kicks out on the full being a fifty percent chance of them getting the ball back. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, um, I think there's actually I think this has two impacts in tactics at the time, or one impact on tactic, and I think one hangover. I think there's a hangover that persists to this day by this rule. So. Firstly, tactically, I think late in the game, Parramatta take this really sterile five-set hit-up when they're behind. You know, there's sort of Mm. less than 10 minutes left in the grand final and they're on their own end. They take five hit-ups and then take the sixth. Like, they actually take the sixth and turn it over 35 out. And it occurred to me immediately that... They, they were winning the scrum count for the day. That's and it right. possibly, like, they literally would have thought, you know what, we're better off turning the ball over than kicking it because if we kick it, they get the ball. And if we just get tackled in our own half, we go in with an even chance of getting that the ball back with eight scrum, minutes left yeah. in the grand final. Yeah. yeah. And the, um, so that, that's one thing. That, that was quite a legitimate tactic, I suppose, if you were behind in a game rather than kick the ball to the opposition. If you needed the ball, you'd be better off getting – you could get an extra set from the end of where you started the end you set. Um, the, the second one is that it, look, this is, this is a bit of a bit odd, but my mind goes to odd places. And mm. I reckon, you know, I think that this rule has caused a hangover, the persisting obsession that rugby league commentators have to this day of complimenting people who dive on their mistakes. So we've got like, what happens ah. today is, yeah. So what you get here is that even to this day, people will drop the ball and nothing's happening. The other team can't go anywhere. And the guy getting the ball will launch and dive on it. And the commentators will really, this was especially during the nineties, but they still do it now. You'd hear this little, oh yeah, you know, he's covered that up. You've got to dive on your errors. And when they didn't, and the other team picked it up, there'd be this real criticism. Like there'd be no chance of the other team scoring. You drop the ball you look at it disappointed, the other team picks it up, you get Paul Vorton or Sterlow or someone going, ah, oh, he has to fall on that there. Come on, like you got to do it. And that was a really key thing at this point because if you think about it, you drop the ball in your own half and if you pick it up, you get a scrum feed. But if you don't pick it up, the other team just gets it. Like they get to play on. So you're in these situations where, and I reckon I've always found it odd that to this day, you get the commentators really earnestly talking about defending those sorts of mistakes. Like you drop it, you got to dive on it and all this stuff. When it really, as long as there's no, not a try scoring situation, it sort of doesn't matter like at all. You can just yeah. let the other team pick it up or not. No, that's because true. It doesn't. It doesn't. They, but yeah. It, it, it's this weird, it's, they do, don't they? They really odd, earnestly talk up the need to defend your mistake. But that yeah, was well, really important then, wasn't it? Like really yeah, well, critical, actually. Rex you, you, yeah. goes after St. George, I think, in the first half for um, for knocking on and then not falling on it. And it says, oh, they've knocked it on. And what's worse, they've turned over, they've, Parramatta have got the ball, you know. 
Um, yeah. Well, it, it's super important. It takes it mm. from an, a guaranteed turnover to a sort of 50-50, or if you're in your own half, maybe even a better chance than that of it not mattering. The rules, and, and that, that, this, yeah. those rules are unbelievable the, 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 because they turn the game into a real, um, and this is what I mean about it being it not being curated, like, because there is there are all these kind of perverse rewards for doing the wrong thing. And, and it, to, it turns the game into a real lottery, right? Because mm. like those kicks out on the full, there are a couple of absolutely horrible shanks right at the end of the game in clutch moments of the game mm. that aren't punished by the rules. And so and like, yeah. it wasn't what they were, on neither occasion was it what they were trying to do, mm. but. Nor uh, is it what you should ever do. You know? No, like kicking out <laughs> on the full and stuff. Like, it's not, there's no tactical move to do that. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really, really odd. The, and because the scrums are so messy, only one team gets punished. Like St. George kick out on the full, get the scrum feed and actually lose it. So they end up yeah. to get punished. But Parramatta win the scrum feed and get it back. And it's like, it, 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 why is it a contest of scrums to see who gets penalt- like who gets punished for kicking it out on the full? Like it, that's, that's you've really made the fair. error and, and you turn it into a battle of whose forwards do it. And you know the other thing, you talk about perverse rewards. I've got a theory for you. You know how we talk about the accord? Mm. Is the accord did it was it not a hangover of these rules where it, it finally seemed to go out in the nineties, these years of whizzing it around? Uh, is ah. it not a hangover of the fact that if you're in your own half in the seventies, why not throw the ball around? Because if you back your forwards in the scrum, if you see a half chance, take it. Because if you don't pull it off, you might get the ball back in the scrum anyway. Or if you chip kick for yourself and it goes out, it goes that's to a true. scrum. That's true, yeah. But, so you're suggesting this was again it was it was there was a lag between the rules changing yeah. and people stopping the, the yeah. zinging in their own quarter. Oh, well, coach, there's only one good coach every 20 years. So once you change the rules, it's not like they all come up with really clever ideas. Like that's how football was played. So they keep coaching it until someone's really successful and they start copying him. So for a long time, they would have all kept playing the same way. And one day someone would go, you know, don't kick into the in goal when it's a 20 tap, not a dropout. Don't <laughs> throw it around your own end when it's a guaranteed turnover and our forwards can't get it back. And all this would have eventually, you know, you'll yeah. eventually start copying the next great coach but think about it like why wouldn't you if you see a half chance on your 20 meter line and you reckon it's a real half chance like you've got a chance of breaking away downfielding and scoring in a 9-5 game you might as well pass it because you, you might just get the ball back it doesn't come off you sort of go to the scrum hook the ball back in your way because it's an absolute lottery you may well get it back yeah that's right no you you, you are of course right um and so there are three things about this game that really jump out to me as different uh the the amount the this this stuff we're talking about now where you know you get the feed for making errors as long as you're in your own half the second thing is the scrums and the third thing is the penalty goals being worth two uh in a game where tries are worth three i think we might have to deal with both of those things can you talk now i know that you're busting to talk about scrums i think this might be i think this might be an appropriate time yeah and Um, i'll give you i'll I'll give you a just before you start that i'll give you a bit of a, a pipe opener for this uh, the first points of this game in the 20th minute, uh, Lord Ted kicks a goal. Uh, it's a penalty goal. Uh, he'd already missed two, but he kicks the penalty goal for Parramatta feeding the scrum with an upward motion. Yeah. Yeah. Look, scrums are a joke. And again, th- this whole this whole thing here is just a dagger to people who want them brought back. Um, I can't work out what the rules are, but there are, there are four penalties to St. George within the first 30 minutes for four different infringements by the halfback. Yes. <laughs> um, and one of them's the upward motion, one's for pushing, one's for something else, I don't even know. But there's like... There, 
in those scrums, so there's four scrum penalties, and one of the ones he doesn't penalise, they bind together, they, they start pushing, and by the time the halfback fed this, did you get around this? They'd moved the scrum 10 metres, like the pushing oh, yeah, they moved it up had gone for 10 metres. It had gone 10 metres upfield before he fed it, and that was play on. But then, like, this upward motion feed was penalised. St George fed one through the locks feet and didn't get penalised. Um, there is repeated chances for penalty goals and various things off scrums in this game. Almost, there's, there's a fair chance, if not for a bit of brilliance, two moments of brilliance by Lord Ted and Price, that this game could only have had points in it by scrums. Like, yeah. scrum penalties could have been the entirety of the story. There was 32 scrums in the game, by my account, yeah. at least over 30. Um, yeah. And look, it's just, this, this, as I said before, one of the big things is that when you make a mistake, you go to a scrum. So the scrum is almost the centrepiece of the game. Every error, every yeah. pause in the game is a scrum. And I, I don't... They're just messy. I, I can't they understand have to, what the rules were. They don't seem to be skillful. Occasionally you get Rex going, oh, that was a great great hook by the hooker that, or the whatever thing, it's called. The, 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 the skills involved in the scrum, if, if you can say skills... They have absolutely no correlation to any of the other things you need to be good at to play rugby league well. No. You know what I mean? Like Passing, it's, athleticism, vision, speed, kicking nothing. Kicking, yeah. like yeah. It's, just, it's just this mess of bodies and it's just kind of a lot of blokes bumping into each other and kind of wrestling and sort of wildly lashing, kicking at the ball. Um, and, and look, like union scrums, right? I don't like rugby union and I don't find rugby union scrums interesting but i accept that whilst it doesn't go look good on tv and it's not interesting in any way that there is a skill element the way that they push behind that there is front rowers who are good at what they do and they manage to win more scrums than others through an actual skill set like there's yeah. an actual it's a skill and i don't find it entertaining and if you do good luck to you but there is a skill element to it so when you go to a scrum that's a set piece where skill decides who wins a lot of them and that's fine in this what is actually happening is that someone just bowling balls the ball into the middle and both <laughs> hookers strike with their feet which is just not skillful because they just lash out with their boot and even when they do get it a lot of the time it flies out the side or flies 10 meters behind the thing because you can't control it if you and i sit there and have this contest and someone just rolls a ball between us and we both strike at it you don't there's no sense that that's a great ability that one of us has if one of us wins seven and one wins three it's just sort of chance and even when you win it it can bounce anywhere it's yeah. no no that's there's right. no it's just skill it's, in it no and it, it, it's just and it means that so much of the game depends on luck right like yeah 30 so much, times 30 plus yeah, times so, there's, depends on so luck. there were 31 scrums in this game and St. Yeah. george won the scrum count uh, uh sorry Parramatta won the scrum count 17 14 uh and it is just so much of it is just luck because like you say the ball goes in and then it just spews out in some direction and someone falls on it uh, it's very funny to me the way that they pack them because as soon as there's an error, yeah. the ref calls scrum. Whether the halfback's ready or not, they just pack and they just bash into each other and wrestle. And then the halfback might even not have might not even have the ball in his hands yet. And then he'll finally pick it up and put it in. Um, that was so funny. I was going to mention that. That's it. It's so funny because St. George are up nine five and rush to pack this scrum that Parramatta have the feet off. Yeah, yeah. They're attacking the game, but they all and you're right. Like. Parramatta's halfback isn't even ready and there's like 10 minutes left in a grand final and St. George, who are in front by less than the converted try, are still rushing to pack the scrum before the attacking team's ready. It's it like, there's been. no sense. There's no common sense there. Like, why are they not bludging or slowing it down? It's so funny. Like, it's great. I'd love I'm to see amazed. it now. But <laughs> I'm just amazed that they, that people do call for the return of this because yeah. if I was watching my team, 
and they lost or had something bad happen on the basis of one of these scrums, like just through this mess of bodies and the ball coming out, like you would just, it would just ruin your day because it's not, it doesn't have any bearing on whether or not they're a good side. Like it's just kind of so much of it was, was just good fortune. And I'm sure there were, I'm sure there was a certain kind of, I'm sure they practiced scrums and there were, uh, there were props who were better than other props and hookers who were better than other hookers. But like even the best scrummages would have to admit that there was a fairly significant element of luck. And if you were, if if your side lost the game because someone's loose boot kicked the ball out of a scrum or heaven forbid the referee penalized your halfback in front of the post for an upward motion feed. I just think that you'd have a grievance. I think you'd feel that it wasn't reflective of the actual, like, like the match. Well, that's not entirely theoretical what you've got to say there because uh, there is a chance that that could have decided the result. Like quite yeah. in extra time, there is basically um, Rex reckons he sees an infringement at the scrum and says, oh, I don't reckon the referee will call that at this stage. You won't want to decide it like that. But the halfback did a sh- shoved someone or, or pushed in the scrum mm. or something, which he's not allowed to do. And basically there was a scrum infringement. And I can only take Rex at his word because, well, I mean, I can't tell when there's an infringement at the scrum but you know he's pretty confident he saw a scrum infringement but sort of says oh they won't decide the game like that it's pretty technical like it sort of wasn't Mm. but but they blew technical ones all game so if this referee had have been say bill harrigan who doesn't give a shit about sort of deciding a grand final result he would have loved to have decided with a penalty and go now look i saw the infringement i had to blow it then this would have decided the game he would have blown that and they would have kicked it from in front well you know, not necessarily would have kicked it in front. They would have had a chance. Um, and that could have been the game. Um, one last thing for you about scrum returns. Mm. I personally think uh, here it is to you scrum traditionalists out there. Here's the dagger in your hearts. Here's the dagger in your hearts. Okay. Five times in this game, five times in this game, Ray Price was at first receiver off the Parramatta scrum. So ah. don't sit here and tell me, oh, you know, whether Mark and my day, the forwards used to pack into the scrums and we had backline set pieces and oh, it's a disgrace now. The, you know, the wingers are feeding the scrums and all this. The lock forward for Parramatta Ray, was at first receiver on over five scrums in this game and it is 1977. So this has been going on, this tactic of, you know, putting silly people into scrums and the randoms into scrums for as long as it's been happening. The idea for the scrum coming back is dead. They were a joke. They were always silly. There was always forward standing in the back line and get rid of them. Don't talk about it anymore. It's over. There you go. There you go. Bury scrum the scrum. You've heard Bury it. the scrum. It's all over. The, the, the campaign to return real scrums is finished. Gaz has just, Gaz has just put the dagger through its heart. Uh, on the rugby league cemetery, and now bury uh, it at the back of the cemetery, at the very back, with no no gravestone. I'm not even naming it. Wow, that is serious, dear oh dear. Now, I yeah, I, you've got very impassioned about that issue. I appreciate it. Um, they're so important to the game, and like they're so critical to to so much that happens in the game. I couldn't believe it. Um, there were four penalties in the first half against Conk. Rex suggests he's been penalized on each occasion for feeding the ball with an upward motion. I don't know what that means. Can I say just as a start? Um, but secondly, Rex starts speculating about, <laughs> so Cole and the, and the paramedic captain, Ray Higgs get a talking to from the referee and Rex starts speculating about whether Cole could, could potentially be sent off for repeated infringements. From, like, can imagine imagine? getting sent off for like yeah. repeated bad scrum feeding. Can you imagine watching 
the 97 grand final, if Andrew Johns had been Sinbin for upward motion scrum feeding, what sort of state you and I would have been in? <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I just yeah, like burning effigies. Like, oh. it's just, like, I believe, yeah, like, imagine getting your half back been for, for upward. Mo- and I actually, I'm not sure Rex is. I, I, had, I had the view that the other commentator at one point said there was four different yeah, right. penalties were for four different things. And I hope that's true because I like, <laughs> I, I don't, how can there even be four rules that the halfback can do wrong? He's only got to roll the ball. But it's, yeah. yeah it's, um, either way, it's just, it's just insane. It's good that they won the scrum count after four penalties in the first 30 yeah, minutes yeah. against the halfback. None of yeah, which well, they've won. By virtue of you know being penalised. No, that's right. Well, they also yeah. uh, they also won the penalty count eleven nine, uh, having mm-hmm. been behind in the count at half time. Now uh, there is another penalty uh, for a bad scrum feed in the thirty seventh minute. Goodwin puts the goal mm-hmm. over to go four nil. So George probably just about had the better of the territory in the first half, but uh, it was kind of it, it was a lot of the game was played in the middle of the park, so it was a bit hard to like there was, there was not very much attacking of the line at all in this game at all, really. That um... Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, the, th- the first 37 minutes, and look, the game ends up being really good. Um, we told it scrappy and all the rest of it. The first 37, I th- think it would be fair to say it was reasonably sterile after it, they all play hard and fair. But what I mean by that is there wasn't a lot of chances. Um, the ball, as you said, there wasn't a lot of attacking play. They didn't get down there much. No one looked likely to score. There sort of was just battling away in the middle without too much excitement. And then the odd, uh, burst into a scrum penalty yeah. <laughs> or and someone then, would have a shot. Uh, and yeah, at this point it, you would say it, it's not, not a particularly good game yet. And suddenly mm. that, that the seed bursts into flower in the form of Lord Ted Goodwin, who scores mm. what I think is, is regarded, but should be regarded as one of the most stunning grand final tries. That uh, We've talked a bit about great grand final tries on this, on this program before we've talked about Nathan Blacklock and mm. this sort of thing. We talked about the the uh, the manly try in '97. All of this, the, we, from halfway, it's Rod Reddy goes down the short side from dummy half, turns it inside to Goodwin. There doesn't appear to be much on. There's a lot of traffic in the middle of the park, and Lord Ted turns on. Can I say the afterburners? Slices through, goes past a couple, gets to about the quarter line, just boots it ahead madly, circles the fullback, and lands on the ball. And then lands on his head, inches in from the dead ball line. And it is, a, it is a stunning piece of play for two reasons. Because he scores an electrifying try in a very, very tense and tight grand final. And he knocks himself out in the process of putting the ball down. And when I say knocks himself out, listeners, if you haven't seen this, he, he doesn't get out, like, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't stun himself. He knocks himself out cold because he goes head first into the very hard SCG turf and has to be assisted to, to stand up. Yeah, he's laying face down, like on yeah. the ground, not not moving at all in yeah. any way. Having scored uh, that the, one of the, the great most stunning thing, yeah. stunning yeah. things I've ever seen. That whole try, boots it ahead. Such a good word for that because it's not a chip kick. He's on the quarter line with the fullback to beat and just sort of. <laughs> like, There's no need to nearly kick it dead. <laughs> one of the, I tell you what else it is. It's a stunningly good refereeing decision to call it a try because it's inches in from the dead ball line, and I I. I I do take the point that it's it's possible that uh, referee Gary Cook just sort of had a guess, but um, yeah, he guessed right. Unfortunately, he guessed right. He wasn't he able to. Down. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to judge by the reaction of the try scorer who was sound cold. <laughs> yeah, he looked a bit disappointed, didn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sort of being face down on the turf, not moving. But yeah. um, 
It is. Lucky he knocks himself out hard. Like he oh, keeps yeah. going at full pace, dives full stretch forward with the arms out to get it down, and yeah. then just because he's got the arms to score, yeah. there's no protective action. Bang! <laughs> oh, it's one of the best I've ever seen. He um, when when we put this up during the week, you have to put a photo up of either when he finally does get up and he's like just harrowingly knocked out covered in blood or the second time later in the game that we spoke about when he's just, there's just a lot of shots of him in this game looking like he has no idea where he is like with a lot of blood coming out for someone who's just scored the most graceful like break like it, it, I, I can't overestimate because it's so easy to get caught up in, in how hilarious that is Fuck, it was a good try like yeah he shows so much pace and poise like and balance to get through that gap to beat the fullback to just get it down inches inside the dead ball line and he did get it down it was a correct call even if it was a guess and oh it was just so good it, it was certainly not something i've ever seen bronx or bryson nearly do I tell no, you that's true I, yeah it was just like was he a big fullback by the way he was yeah he was he size of a back of, rower yeah he sort of presaged the, the sort of fullbacks you have now he was he looked a bit oh. um he looked like abnormally big for a fullback in that era certainly he was um, thick like he was a bigger than yeah. Ray price <laughs> yeah he, he got, it's just it, it is incredible and the, one of the great images of this of this moment is that he's knocked out cold doesn't know what like he's, he's out and all the St. George players are celebrating around him because <laughs> <laughs> like, they're thrilled at what he's done. Unfortunately, I wonder if he remembers it. <laughs> like, I don't think so. Because I, <laughs> I just think you're a bit stiff if you do something that good in a grand final. I think you're a bit stiff if you don't, if you end up with no memory of it, the greatest, like the greatest moment of your career. And you, 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 you're the only person who doesn't remember it. <laughs> and everybody else has to tell you how great it was. You know? Yeah, I'm not sure you'd want to watch it back either. It looks no, <laughs> it's sort of. It's, quite, it's pre- a bit sickening. Yeah. Yeah. Just but yeah. when he kicks it, just go. Yeah, you score from here. Yeah, you, you score. You're all right. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, no, I've it never seen anything bit, like that. It reminded me a bit of the Simpsons when Homer gets knocked out by the ball, like by the, in the softball episode when he gets knocked out cold with the ball, <laughs> yeah. with the ball to the head, and he's like a like he's out in a coma when they get they celebrate with the trophy. Yeah, quite good. Um, it was. Uh, it was a. It was just a start. What's your? Where does this rank for you as far as grand final tries? We've watched a few. Um, Might be the best we've watched so far. I would have thought it's got to be up there, doesn't it? Like the like the Blacklock yeah, I mean, one's very good. The Chicka Ferguson one's very good. Probably I'd say the the, um, the Balmain one with Ciro is is good. Um, yeah, but like no one, no one like nearly died. <laughs> sort of putting them yeah, down. Yeah, that is um, it. It's the combination. Like you got to go with the combination. This is every bit as good as those in terms of like there's nothing on. And the game mm. hasn't been good. And this play comes out of nowhere where you get a fullback. There's, it's something very exciting when a fullback breaks through the ruck. There's some yeah, of that... Um, oh yeah. With pace get, and, yeah. Yeah. T- these days, you get to see it a lot with Tedesco, Ponga and Trevojevic are wonderful at it, where a fullback just burns you through the middle. They sort of go back mm. through the middle and go. There's something very exciting about that. Then you know he's going to take... Because it's a centre field break, you know he's going to have to do something. He either has to try and beat the fullback to the right or step him or kick. Like, he's got to... Is you can't just run to the trial line. You know there's going to be a contest. What's he going to do? Is he going to draw and pass? Is he going to run? What's he going to do? So you're sort of looking going, you all get to your feet. It really brings you up, that sort of break. Yeah. And you're up and he breaks through at pace and you're all up for that. And all of a sudden he's kicked. So when someone kicks, then you're up seeing if he's going to get there first. And you sort of have this moment where you go, oh, he's going to get there. But then you go, 
oh shit, it's going to go dead. Is he going to come on? Come on, come on. Yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. All, there's no one else in, in sight, but you're just there going, come on, come on. No, it's too deep. You won't get there. Oh, he's going to get there. And you get that sort of moment. Did you? And after did all you? that, you don't need the knockout. You don't, no, you, that's, but, crazy. But, that's gravy, isn't it? It, yeah. it is. But once you add all of that together, like the thrill of the break, the thrill of the kicking over the fullback, the thrill of will or won't it go dead, the, the, the fact that he gets it down an inch inside and you're going, did he? Oh, I'm not sure. And then the ref gives it. And then the fact that he's out cold is just, I think that's the best grand final try we've watched so far. There you I go. Think, oh, Jeez, that's yeah. a call. Cool, it's very good. And people talk a lot of rubbish about Billy Slater in State of Origin. Uh, scoring a try similar to this, breaking through and then chipping over the fullback and getting it down. Can I just say, he, you know, he he never concussed himself. Yeah, and that's, yeah exactly right. And and that's a that's a real that's a real mark on his legacy that he wasn't able to he wasn't able to score and knock himself out in the same motion. That's why you'll yeah, never be that. Yeah. You know, that's why I never. Well, it was soft. Yeah, he was soft. Yeah. And and the other thing is, like, he, you know, he sort of accurately kicked it right near the try line and put it down. You would have liked to have seen him kick it way too deep. Yeah, sort of kick like, it sort 40 of, metres from yeah. sort of 30 metres out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm glad. I, did you know that this was going to happen? Did you know about this? Uh, no, I knew, well, I, I sort of thought he was going to score because I knew that he scored a good try in the grand final. Sure, but I didn't. I didn't know that he knocked himself out. So that was one of the most wonderful surprises yeah, I've I'm ever glad. had I'm on this show or in life. Like I was, yeah. on, I was totally gone when I saw that. And even knowing that he scored a good try, like they, I've heard he scored a really good try. It looked too deep, so I was watching it going, "Come on, come on, come on!" And then I'm like, "He's not going to get that. No, this can't be the try. He's not. He's got it. He's got it. Oh God, he's, he's out cold." <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a sensory overload, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it is, at one yeah. point, I thought for a second they were going to make him take the goal <laughs> because he staggers back from the goal quite a long time after scoring, and he's like, he's what? He's complete wobbly boot. Like he's gone, gone in the legs. And uh, it's very good that they allowed him to play on after this. Like, it's quite... Because, like, what on earth? The, <clears throat> imagine... The thing about this, if this happened now, your fullback will have scored one of the great grand final tries and then not play any further part in the match because you'd be HIA. And possibly never play again if he's knocked himself out that cold. Well, he would probably... Would, would, medical retirement. He probably wouldn't, <laughs> have, probably wouldn't have played in the replay the next week. Oh, uh, but no, legitimately, that's a really good yeah, point. Yeah. He, he, would yeah. he, he, um, he tries to, he's so wobbly, <laughs> just so people get the idea, even in the 70s, he's so wobbly, they actually, they try to take him off and he sort of won't go and they still try and take him off a bit and he sort of yeah, get him off, goes off and comes back. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, they, even in the 70s, they try and take him off and then he comes back on and gets a big cheer from the crowd who loves to see brain injury like nothing else. The they do, that's true. Brain injuries, yeah. They do. CT, <laughs> rugby league crowds are crazy about CTE. Um, yeah. They love players. There's something very heroic about players kind of really knocking themselves senseless yeah. and then aiming up to do it again and cause yeah. themselves permanent, permanent problems. Yeah. Even in the 70s, they wanted to take him off. Like, that's yeah. the marker of how he was going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, John Chapman takes the goal instead. It's 9-0, and, uh, and they go in at half-time 9-0. I just want to... Uh, I want to tip my hat to Rex Mossop's commentary of this try. Goodwin! He smacked their bottoms! <laughs> Twice. Twice. He says, it, he says it, and then he does it again as if he hasn't gone enough he's gone oh he smacked mm. their bottoms this is when he breaks through and hasn't scored yet just for the break but then on the replay he go doubles down again and repeats his original commentary of smacked bottoms yeah he i i, I was troubled i like i yeah I, I didn't really i didn't really understand that but it was good to hear it um it was the, one of the few mind, times in the game that he gets yeah. excited yeah no i don't mind yeah 
Uh, I've just, I, I had a couple of things from his first half, if you want me sure. to take the opportunity, the moose. Uh, oh. Just two others. I obviously yeah, yeah. had that one. Um, I'm always, so let me tell you something, Gaz. You never have to ask, because if there's one thing you should know about yeah. me, it's that I'm always up to talk about the moose at any time with anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I've got three. Uh, I, I sort of read two, but I've got three. So at one point, someone takes a, a charge and he goes, oh, he's gone down like a shot kangaroo, which is <laughs> really quite, quite good. Sort of shooting the national emblem. <laughs> um, it's just a very good chat. That. It's good. Um, 10 years before the Avenging Angel conversation. He's still yes, that's true. Shot kangaroo. Um, he launches a, 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 a sequence, having about 10 times said that he thinks Parramatta don't attack enough in football games and are lucky to sort of get here with their defensive style and have been criticised. He launches, Parramatta launched this raid and he goes, look, that Parramatta play, it was just a little bit too spectacular. Yeah. Which is just the wrong, wrong adjective. Because it is, yeah. The suggestion it was too, too wonderful is, is yeah, yeah, that's one a bit thing. too good, yeah. Um, lastly, there's a hit up by a winger where he knocks the ball on and he goes, look, I'd just rather see the wingers stay out of the way. <laughs> well, isn't that, the, isn't that the truth? Yeah, yeah it's a good yeah. attitude. It, it, it's good. It, it's just wonderful, isn't it? it, it it's, it's a very funny comment. Yeah, it's rather they stay. go on, stay out there. We'll, we'll, we'll call you if we need you. Uh, yeah. Parramatta uh, winning the scrum 6-4 at half time, but St George winning the penalty 6-3. Uh, which does not last because Parramatta, Parramatta get a run of six penalties in a row in the second half. Um, the, we've talked a little bit about what kind of game it was in the first half and the fact that St George had a little bit better of the territory, uh, had a few more shots at goal and all of that. Uh, the penalty goals are incredibly important in this in this this era, aren't they? You realise that with tries being worth three, like there's just any time you get a penalty anywhere near, and you talk, you know, the goal kicking in this game is fairly ordinary, but the mm. Any any time they they take they do take a lot of shots because anytime you get near the post and you get a penalty you just may as well have a crack because it's very near it's almost the same as scoring a try. Thank Christ they yeah, changed that, that rule by the way. Yeah, that that's right. Um, the kicking's appalling. Lord Ted has one from four, ends up two from five. Yeah, um, and then the replacement kicker misses at least one, if not two, at later yeah. stages. So they end up kicking about you know sort of four from about seven or eight. Um, Lord Ted hits a couple of absolute stinkers, and like he takes one from like thirty-five out, which is just bizarre because he's never yeah. going to kick it. But they just think we may as well have a stab because it's nearly a try. Cronin is kicks abysmally, like <laughs> abysmal. One of his kicks yeah. is twenty-five meters out, right, halfway mm. to the sideline. Yeah. Um, it lands 10 metres out halfway to the other side one. Yes. Fair income. It's an it's absolutely very funny. disgraceful it's piece of rugby league. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a disgraceful piece of rugby league. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It tells you something about the era that Mick Cronin is, was and is yeah. regarded as one of the great sharpshooters in rugby league history uh, because the, he, he really does... Um, what does he kick in this game? Three from six. Uh, and a couple of horrible botches. Uh, it, well, he misses again a minute later from nearly in front. Right. On the other yeah, side. yeah, in, yeah. The, in the second half, that's right. He kicks. He misses. He has two penalty misses in a row mm. within a minute mm. of each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, one from near in front and one from halfway to the sideline that lands on the ten meter line on the other sideline. Like, I'm not bagging. It's just disgraceful. Like, this is an important skill to the game, and they are so bad at it. Because you're right, he is considered a good kicker. People still talk about him as being a good point scorer and a kicker. These were abysmal shots at goal in a grand final. And no one seems to think it was but, unusual. But that's right. Nobody just does. Because that's, not, yeah. that's what the standard was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's just... And he, yeah. But it's so much of it seemed to be luck. The way that they kicked, 
And mm. I think the reason they keep taking them from all over the field is that they strike them. Every every kick is like struck differently. It's because they're running straight at the ball and swinging. Like there's no around the corner and there's no kind of, mm. there's not a huge amount of method or technique to it. So it's like um, you, every now and again, they just hit one sweet and it goes over, like it goes straight over. But like, but yeah. the rest of them, they're going miles to the left, or they're going straight up in the air, or they're going really, really flat and wide. It's like, it's not as if they're either going over or just missing by a bit or hitting the post. It's like the kicks can go anywhere, and you're always a batless chance of getting one flush and it going over. Yeah, they're missing in a way you never see today. Like there's no. a once a year thing to see someone shank like that. Um, yeah. To these days, you either kick them or you miss them a meter to the left or the right. Like that. Yeah, that's right. Person, you don't. You know. Yeah. That's, yeah. It, it's it's just um, unusual. You're right with the try. Thank God they changed the rule with tries. But it's one of those things. Like I was thinking about it. I, I just still don't really think it was worth it when you're kicking like one from four penalty attempts and stuff. Like that's mm. what he does in the first half. You got to remember. I know the try is only worth three, but if you can score it somewhere near the post, it's worth five. It's still five two. It's only like if you kick the goal, if yeah. you can score in a relatively okay position to take the shot. So when you're kicking goal, I'm not saying you should never take them. Like I'd be taking twenty out in front and stuff for sure. But thirty five out halfway to the sideline, twenty five out halfway to the sideline. Someone takes one from forty. You're just much better off trying to score. Like your odds, I think yeah. at this point are so low. If you're kicking at twenty five percent you may as well kick the ball in the touch or, or, or tap it or whatever and hope to score somewhere near the goalpost for five. It's just not that big of a chance of getting it. And you get it back a fairly deep by the time they take the 20 metre drop kick. It's, you, you don't, you're fairly deep when you get it back. You lose a lot of territory in a territory sort of given game. You get the ball back on halfway. You're not in a very good position to attack back then. No, that's right. Um, it, that, 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 that's right. It's, it, it's still odd. Um, the the other thing about it being five is that they've really, very. I suppose they've probably kicked the, uh, the, the the conversions much the same as the penalties that you were sort of a batless chance, but not much better. Um, I suppose, yeah. But yeah, goal, it's just, it was just funny to see how important penalty goals were in yeah. this era. Um, there are so many attempts. Um, what are there? How many goal attempts are there? So so George take eight shots at goal, having scored one try, uh, and Parramatta take six. So fourteen goal sh- shots for goal. In the for game. two tries. For two tries. So 12 penalty goal attempts in 80 minutes yeah. of football. Uh, yeah. As I said last week about a couple of things in that Super League try series, promoter's dream. Uh, the second half, they, they come out for the second half. Ray Price kicks Robert Stone flush in the thigh and knocks him clean over uh, in the play of the ball, which I, I thought was a nice mm-hmm. touch. Cronin misses a penalty from the quarter line from fairly wide out. Then he misses another one, as you said, shortly after. Uh, and there is a penalty in the ruck. Now, I know you and I both love a bit of contested possession at the ruck. Mm. Uh, a Parramatta player strikes for the ball. The ball's hooked back uh, by Graham Quinn. And Robert Finch picks it up. And it's a penalty for handling in the ruck. Uh, and Rex says there'd only be one player per team in the whole league who'd know that rule. It's very specific. Mm. Very specific. And, uh, so what... Yeah. What I'm seemed to have sure happened that, is, yeah, it, it, it seems to be what happened is he raked at it, and so the guys played the ball, and the ma- the marker struck at it with his foot. But what's then happened is the play the goal guy then used his hand again. So what happens once you strike at it? Once you've put it in there and start playing it, you can only you can use your feet. The marker can use your feet. 
but you can't use your hands. It's a, it's a contest of striking, much like a scrum. So once he's played it, he's gone to play it. The guy's struck at it, and he's gone, shit, I'm going to lose it, and got his hand involved to regain, like, to recover. Oh, right. I thought it was because Robert Finch tried no. to pick it up. No, no, no. So what, what oh, happened okay. was, yeah, so he, and there is a hand in there. They show the replay. It's the only thing they show a replay of in the whole game. It's a stupid incident. It doesn't matter that much. But yeah, so if you're playing the ball, right, you've, once you put it on the ground and put your foot on it, it's only feet that can get involved. So if I'm marker, I strike out with my foot and he sort of, the marker got, made it messy and sort of half got it. And the guy playing the ball had to just keep using his foot to try and win the foot contest which is great, um, and instead sort of goes, shit, I'm losing this, gets his hand down, and he sort of uses that to restabilise and play it again, and that's what it was for, yeah. Which is, um, I suppose, makes sense. If you're going to be able to lash at it from Marco, it becomes then like a scrum. It's a hooking contest. Like, you're both whacking at it with your feet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's... Um... Uh, yeah, that, that's what it was for, yeah. But it's very specific that one player on every team would know that rule, and you sort of hope they'd all know it because it sounds reasonably important. Yeah. Rex also accuses Rod Reddy of hair pulling. Uh, and specifically, I think, pulling the hair off Ray Price. Uh, the second half, there's a bit of like... Prepared to back that. Yeah, I think so. There was talk. There, there is a lot of speculation from the rugby league community about the identity of a St. George player who became known as a result of his exertions in this and the replay as the Phantom Biter. And Parramatta players claimed that they were eaten alive by a St. George player, I think more in the replay than in the original grand final. Uh, but the, the, the suspicion has been cast on each of the St George forwards separately over the uh, over the intervening years. Different people have been accused. The, 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 the consensus seems to narrow around Rod Reddy and possibly Robert Stone. Uh, but Have you I, put it to your mate? No, I haven't. I haven't. But I... Soft I, I, on the big questions. Yeah, yeah well, that's right. Yeah. But I, it's just... You don't see a lot of biting anymore. You can't... Like, biting now... Mm. If there was a bite in a game, it would immediately be reported to the referee and it mm. would be a really significant incident. Um, in this game, it seems that uh, it, it, the players complained about it after, but there wasn't a huge amount of... Mm. There was never there was no penalty for biting in the game. There was no talk of biting. Uh, but it seems that on the field, there was quite a lot of biting. When men were men. Is that... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> now... Uh, so Cronin finally gets a penalty goal, finally kicks one uh, from 20 out in front to go 9-2 in front in the 56th minute. He kicks another one in the 62nd minute uh, after the, the Goodwin bomb uh, that goes out on the full from the quarter line. So Goodwin punts it out on the full. So George get to feed inexplicably. And then, uh, then there is a scrum penalty awarded to Parramatta. So there is, so in the end, St. George have Good profited, result in the end. profited <laughs> from their own mistake and then uh, been even more severely punished for it than they should have been. And Cronin kicks the goal from in front. That makes it 9-4. Uh, a couple of significant moments in the intervening time. Dennis Fitzgerald on in the 11 in his last the season. The Emperor of Parramatta on in the, uh, off the bench in his last season of first grade. He uh, very shortly before becoming the the Emperor and the, the CEO of the Parramatta Leagues Club, with which he served with uh, great distinction for 30 years. Uh, I, it was just funny to see him in a situation. It was just funny to see Dennis Fitzgerald, uh, you know, in in football gear, cutting the ball up rather than, say, in a suit talking about the upcoming board elections. 
yeah, and, and potential rival tickets against yeah. him running in there. Re- rebel tickets of ex-players running against Can him I just every say, three, four years. Yeah. There is nothing, there is no rugby league trope I love more than Parramatta board election strife. Yeah. It's incredibly and re- fun. And rebel tickets, like, uh, yeah. banded together to run against the, the status quo. Always on the basis of, um, always on the basis of, like, bring, restoring the Parramatta values of old, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a wonderful trope of the game. And I want to share with you a, a comment from Dennis Fitzgerald in 2016. So he was finally, they got rid of him in 2009. The board uh, sacked him after 30 odd years as CEO, uh, which is very funny that they sacked him in 2009, the year they ended up making the grand final. But anyway, after the 2016 salary cap scandal at Parramatta, Fitzgerald declared he would be willing to help Parramatta in any capacity. He went on to say, and I just want to, I just want to share this with you as a great example of like, uh, of, of of kind of like sniping couched as, you know, genuine like a genuine offer. Here we go. If there was something that I could do to ensure that the club was back on its feet and really employing good governance rather than just talking about it, well, I would be only too pleased to, given I've been involved with Parramatta as a player and administrator since 1969. <laughs> Yeah, that's good, isn't it? I love the <laughs> so it's very, it's very kind of goodwill gesture to get involved. Yeah, it's sort of if like... If they're willing I, I to guess... employ good governance rather than just talk about it. Yeah, it's sort of like, I guess, if an ex-Bulldogs player at the moment said, look, if, if there was anything I could do to help the Bulldogs, you know, start being good at football instead of just being really crap at it and not scoring any points, I'd love to. It's sort of back yeah, exactly. <laughs> the current yeah. team, yeah. It's a very good, backhander. Yeah. yeah, everything you're doing at the moment is crud. And yeah, I that's right. And I like I did for 30 years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I love the Parramatta board elections. I can't, mm. I just can't overstate how funny they are. Ray Price, of course, ended up falling out. So Ray Pro- I think Ray Price and Mick Cronin, uh, no, or maybe Ray Price and uh, Eric Groth ran mm. a, at least one, possibly two rebel tickets to try and take over yeah. the Parramatta board at different times. Remember the three P's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember yeah, the I three do. P's yeah, ticket yeah, with Ray? Of course, with, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Passion, power, and pride, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah Ray Price like restoring restoring Parramatta values to the board is wonderful. Passion, pride, and price. I think it was. That, I think that might be right. Yeah, and <laughs> passion, pride, and perpetual motion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just it, it's very funny to me, and it, it will always be. And I hope it. Don't, I hope it hasn't gone away. Like I know Parramatta are going all right at the moment, but I just hope that the next time they have a dip. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that there'll they be will. a bit of, and yeah. which they inevitably will. There, there will yeah. be, um, you know, the the thing about this is that he actually Dennis Fitzgerald got involved as an administrator by running a rebel ticket. So in, <laughs> in nineteen seventy three, he led a reform group at the Troubled Club. Uh, so this was before he'd retired, and then after well retiring before. as a player, he became CEO the next year. Yeah, so totally. he, um, yeah, it's good that isn't it. So he kind of yeah. ran and took over in a coup and, you know, in the, as Paul Keating once said of, of politics, you know, in the end, they take us all out in a box. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not writing him off. I'm not writing him no, off. No, I'm not writing him off either. Bring back, bring back Fitzy. I know Ray Hadley occasionally brings this up, starts really demanding <laughs> Dennis Fitzgerald returns at Parramatta, wherever they're going, ordinary. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> so the dream is well and truly alive. At the yeah. Parramatta Leagues Club. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> uh, Cronin kicks another penalty in the 68th minute to make it 9 6. 
and Parramatta have 12 minutes to save themselves and try and get the uh, try and get some uh, try and get a try and win the game or or level the game. Uh, there is a they also kick out on the full and get the ball back during this period, uh, and then Phil Mann limps off in the 68th minute to bring John Peard on, who wasn't fit enough to play, but is somehow fit enough to come on with 12 minutes to go chasing the game, despite being very heavily strapped in the uh, on the I think the left thigh. Mm. Uh, but Rex seems to think he's got a groin problem, so I don't know what the go is there. Um, but Man limps off, and and Rex says, <laughs> "Well, <laughs> Man seems to be limping. He might feel that he has to limp." I don't get it. And <laughs> he then goes to the sideline and looks in agony while he's being treated by some sort of medical professional. Yeah, I don't think he was bunging it on. <laughs> Also, you're allowed to make interchanges. You're allowed to make interchanges. There's no rule against it. No, like maybe he was suggesting he hadn't had a good game. But I, yeah, at this point, when when Cronin kicks the goal to go nine six, Parramatta have had six penalties to none in the second half. They really get brought back into the game. It goes to what you're saying about penalty goals and scrums because a lot of the penalties were off scrums and the penalties are more important. And the combination is, to be frank with you, I thought St George had the better of the first half. Um, Parramatta from here have a really good run, like run of momentum that we'll obviously talk about. But up to this point, I don't think they've done that much to get back in it other than have these 50-50 situations that can go your way or cannot yeah. just happen to go their way. Like they just, and so George had some go their way too. But I, I don't know that the game changed that much. They probably had a bit more territory. St. George was still probably playing about the same. But Parramatta just happened to get some of the scrum calls or some of the goals within range and you know it just yeah that's it they sort of got back in it without doing that much yeah the margins are so fine that you get a few things going your way and suddenly you can make up a deficit uh it's a incidentally it's a mighty kick so we've we've kind of bagged mick cronin's kicking but this Mm. is what i this is what i mean about just occasionally hitting one well he absolutely belts this over from quite Mm. wide out and like 30 meters away like well outside the quarter line Straight over. He, he's missed like he's all of the ones that he missed were easier than this one that he kicks to go nine six, um, and then so Peard comes on and immediately duffs the kickoff. Yeah. So St George kick off and Peard duffs it and it goes dead, uh, and that's his first involvement. The St George halfback Shulman has gone off, so they're now without their fullback and halfback, and the game at this point just becomes frantic. Like the last ten minutes of normal time are quite demented. Mm. Uh, Rod, there's a wild like. Uh, dangerous throw tackle on John Peard uh, by Reddy and someone else. And then Porter, the manly, uh, sorry, the Parramatta winger, comes flying up with a shoulder charge and absolutely flattens Steve Butler. Um, that was an absolute special. It was that, a was a, that was a, again, to modernise for people, that was a George Tafua, Steve Maddai special. Yeah. Flew off his wing and just Whack. clobbered the living hell out of him like it was a car accident. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is my favourite moment of the game. I'm sure you're probably going to go into it um, here with the Moose's reaction to this. Yeah. Um, this moose... is my favourite moment of the whole game. So the, the moose... this tackle and then the commentary of it. So, so Porter comes flying up and clobbers Butler on about the halfway line. <clears throat> and the Moose immediately diagnoses Butler as being all right. He just goes, no, Butler, yeah. Butler's, he looks like he's okay. He's knocked out. <laughs> he gets absolutely yeah. hammered. Like, he's flat on the deck. And then he says something like, he looks like he's okay in terms of retaining consciousness. This is what he says. I've got the quote for you. He goes, he's okay, he's okay. And then 
you see him and he's twitching on the ground and he tries to get up and he can't. He like falls and he's trying to roll to get up and can't. Tries three times, can't get off the ground. And they cut to it. And Moose looks at it for a second and he goes, well, when I say he's okay, look, he's still rolling around. But when I say he's okay, he's not unconscious. (laughs) (laughs) Good on you, Rex. He's not dead. He's not dead. There are signs (laughs) of life. Oh, it's a, it's a, Magnificent Tafoe style coming off your wing, flatten him as he gets the ball, hospital parts on as you get yeah. the ball, bang, shoulder to the head, on the ground, like trying to get up, like rolls, falls, his legs fail a bit, tries to get up again, rolls again, can't move. He's okay, he's okay. No, he's all right. But when yeah. I say he's okay, he's not <clears throat> unconscious. Fantastic. <laughs> That's just yeah, you're right. Um, by, by this point, poor old Harry Bath. <clears throat> Paramount will launch a bit of a raid down the short side. Dennis Fitzgerald, who makes quite a good impact when he comes on. Mm. Um, real CEO values. Like he, he sort of um, he makes a really good couple of breaks down the short side and that kind of thing. They duff a chance to, to score, to level it up. And Harry Bath, by this point, is almost like prostrate on the sideline. Like he's just, he can't watch. He's like almost praying. Uh, he's on his knees in the suit on his and on his haunches and all this kind of thing like, it's become something the agony of watching this match has almost become too much. Um, it's been reassuring for his players. Like he looks like you imagine so? gone. Yeah. <laughs> looking at the sideline and your coach is red in the face, like head in his hands, looking downwards, just sort of shaking. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. We, we, we've got this. <laughs> yeah. We've, no, it's going to be all right. Steady hand. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Saints get a penalty on about the quarter line, whitish on the left and it misses. So Quirk could have, uh, could have put Saints uh, out to a converted try lead and misses. But there's no sign, apart from that little snipe down that short side, there's no real sign with three minutes to go that Parramatta are going to score. And then suddenly they do. Mm. And it comes out of not much. They go down the blind side from, from the quarter line and Higgs uh, gives it to Peard. Peard gives it to Cronin. Cronin throws a beautiful pass to put Ray Price through a gap. It just holds the ball up with lovely timing mm. and puts him beautiful through. Beautiful hold, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. The timing of the pass is just delightful puts Ray Price through and Price this is a great grand final play like it's a it's a bit of magic he goes down the he's off down the touchline Starkey comes across in cover gets him and Price hurls the ball back over his head with two hands and somehow it finds uh, Ed Solkowicz on the chest who still has a bit to do goes past a couple and gets the ball down and with three minutes to go in the grand final from nine nil down at half time Parramatta score and have a kick to win the game. It's incredible. It really was. It was an incredible piece of football. Um, the, the pass was beautiful. Ray Price does so much, not just the pass, but beforehand. He runs onto it so hard. So he runs yeah. onto it in the gap at pace and he sort of half gets out of a tackle or two. He's in the clear. He sort of manages to keep his, like, you know, when, he, when the cover comes, he gets his arms up ready to play. He knows he's got to do it lands it on the guy's chest with the basketball pass. And as mm. you say, still had to beat a couple of people. Near. He could easily not scored after all that. And that is just, it is a magic piece of football. This is, what you, this is what you said, that the game, every now and again, it's really turgid and tough and, and kind of it's yeah. fighting over every inch. And then every now and again, you just see the face of God. Like the, there will be yeah. these sequences of passes that are, or chips and chases or whatever it is that, that are just magic. And this is one of them where everything just everything just works. The passes find the chest. The miracle ball finds the guy. Um, the guy who gets the miracle ball is good enough to get himself over the line. 
it's a beautiful bit of football and it's even more beautiful in the context of what the rest of the game looks like. Yeah, and I think like what you've said there's a good point. I think that's why so many mythologized players and immortals probably come out of the, the 60s and 70s. Is I think what you'll find is that when you've got a game like this, this tough sort of game, it must really, to see a Reg Gaznia or a, or a Bob Fulton or these attacking yeah. players pull off that moment in a game out of... You, we see a lot of... like we see You see so much attacking football now for all the problems in the game. You see so many breaks or, or, or magic bits of play that it's very, you know, it's sort of what you expect of first grade footballers to run over people and do this stuff. I think back then, this sort of game, it must have been like, oh, wow, to watch the whole game be this tough, aggressive contest and then have a Bob Fulton or a Gaznia or someone yeah. like that just go bang with, and just go, we know, go. Put the shimmy on or the step or make that one magical long run and you must go, that's why we came to the footy today or Goodwin in that play before. The guys that could do that relatively regularly, that's probably why we have so many immortals from then or so many guys that are really, to this day, probably almost worshipped more than maybe what came in the 80s and 90s. Like they sort of just yeah. put on these pedestals. Yeah, and it, you, you, you're going there and you're watching these contests and then only these one or two players could do this. And, and there that was would this... be the moment of the game. You go home going, we saw Gaznia or Fulton, or in this case, you saw, um, you know, Price pull this off. We go, oh, wow, that's, that's it, isn't it? That's, that's why we went that's, today. That's right. And, it's, and those are the things that, yeah, they really, the, the, the game suddenly bursts into colour. And you must have, yeah. if you were at a game like that, you must be really, you must be really grateful to the player who did it. Um, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And, and and probably because there was less athleticism and everything, it was maybe only the special players who could. Because you can go to a game today and everyone's so big and fast, even guys who don't have good careers can have moments in games and seasons where they do really quite incredible things. And I, I think yeah. there was probably a sense that back then it really was the great players who had the great moments. So it was a really or above average or outstanding players were the ones that could break out of the scrap of the game and do these things. Um, mm. You know, but today, some of the tries wingers score today, wingers that we won't remember in 10 years' time or won't even talk about are just phenomenal. But when you go back to that style of game in, in the amateur era, it probably really was only the special guys who, who regularly had moments that made you sit up and watch and, and, and got put in your memory bank. And, you know, there's not on TV, so you've got to be there live and you go home talking about, you know, that grand final, like Goodwin's grand final try and seeing some of these guys do that would just be very, very special. Um, mm, I know that's, no, that's on right. TV, but you go back no, and a lot of the games weren't on TV. Like the grand final was, but a lot of yeah. games weren't. And they probably and go back built and up as well this, by, yeah. by people. A lot of those things would have been remembered by people describing them, either on yeah. radio or, 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 you know, to people who weren't at the game. Um, God, I'd love to see you in the schoolyard describing the um, Goodwin try. Going yeah. to Cessna, sort of primary, going, Ooh, no, yeah. listen. No, 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 and, what and happened? On the dead ball line. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, there would have been an audience that. for that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what I didn't realise about this game, and I mean, you know, you know, you probably know that it was a draw and all that kind of thing. I didn't realise that Michael Cronin, one of the great and most famous goal kickers of all time, had a conversion attempt to win the game with two minutes to go. Uh, and uh, he, he missed. <laughs> Well, 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 yeah, it was a tough kick. Like it's, it's wide out, but it's, yeah. Yeah, he missed. It's just, again, one of those things. It's expectations. As he's remembered as a good cold kicker, and I'm not bagging him. Everyone was bad. I, I, when I say it was disgraceful before, I meant the standard of kicking was bad for everyone, including him. Mm. But the fact that he's remembered as a good kicker is just very funny because today you could never be remembered as a good kicker if you missed two penalty goals and then missed a goal with three minutes to win the grand final and you've walked away with two from five or something. And three then from six, yeah three from six, don't win the grand final, you don't go down well. Um, like, we've sort of, 
mock Halligan and Jason Taylor for kicking no worse yeah. than this because the expectation yeah. of them in the 90s was just very different to this. This isn't a strike against Cronin. I'm not saying it should be, but no. the standards just are so different and what was acceptable is so different that this has not in any way... I'd never heard of it before. I had no idea it happened and there's just no, no knock on his career in the way that it does hurt people later mm. on, you know? Yeah, but the same right. thing. Yeah. It's because right. no one kicks them, you know? That, no, that was it just, wasn't. The expectation was different. Yeah. So it's nine all at full time and they, they change around to, to go into extra time. It all happens very fast. They kind of just start playing again. Like, like that, like they were just playing a try score or something. Um, and in the first couple of minutes of extra time, Bruce Starkey bursts from dummy half, the big front rower into the open space, into the clear. Uh, you know, he, he was a, a good player and I, but I, you know, I, I know him quite well and used to work for him and had no idea that this happened because people who played in that era, the thing that seems to, the thing that they all seem to have in common is that they don't talk about it. They don't talk about yeah. themselves and things that they did. And I suppose maybe players from now don't either. I guess it gets talked about for them, but I like, I've, I've known him for a long time and I had no idea that he made a 50 meter line break in the grand final in extra time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's a wonderful me... run. He just tears them to pieces. gets yeah. out of dummy half and carves yeah. them open. I know exactly what you mean, because let me say, if I had done that, and you'll yeah. eventually one day have known me for 50 years, yeah. is that you would have heard about this at least 300 times. Oh, yeah. You know, minimum. Like, the amount of times I would say, well, this reminds me of the time I made a 50-meter line break in the grand final. Oh, uh, in any imagine? context, talking talking politics, talking what we're having for dinner, talking yeah. rugby league, cricket, etc. Well, based on my experience of that line break in the grand final, yeah. Da-da. Um, oh, yeah. would be insufferable. You'd never insufferable. talk about anything else again. And you would have... Well, I've the... told you quite a bit about Isn't my that... try in the under-16s for Glendale yeah. off the scrum for 40 out. Like, I've told Isn't you quite a, a few times that... about it. Isn't there a story yeah. that Mark Coyne has the Mark Coyne try permanently on loop in his house? I hope so. I've heard I that. Some... I've heard yeah. somebody say that, that it, he's got... There's a TV that constantly shows the try. Um, has he got his arrest in a foreign country constantly on loop in the other room? Possibly. Yeah, I'm sure that, that, that may well be right. But I, anyhow, but, yeah, I think it was Singapore, wasn't it? I think yeah. that's right. Anyway, I just, it's just funny because Bruce Starkey ended up driving, like ended up being a copper and then ended up driving some, driving a cement truck. And, these, and like, yeah. Ray, like Ray Price now, who's regarded as one of the best forwards of this era and one of the best forwards ever, was driving buses on the Gold Coast. It's just a very different... They, mm. It was just all a lot more normal. Yeah. No. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, yeah. did really big and exciting and significant things in grand finals. And they didn't, they're not... They didn't walk... There's, there, was no, there was no halo attached to them after that. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, it's and funny. You know, there's, there's like... Of course, there's good things about professionalism um, and bad things and, you know... The bottom line is once they started making money, you sort of can't have it not going to players and stuff. But like all of that aside, there's something really nice and there's a lot to be said for the probably the values and the grounding of that era. Um, does, you know, whether it's possible or not is another question now. But I think there would have been a lot more grounding and a lot more normalcy. And you wonder whether, you know, I think there would be a lot for that for players today. And I think they'd probably handle a lot of stuff that goes on a lot better with some of the grounding that these yeah. guys had they would have got approached in the pub all the time they were public figures all that would have still happened but it wasn't that halo and the hoopla and the um sensationalizing like you know what i mean like the 
you, you go watch a Knights game now, you've got to watch a 10-minute promo of Kalen Ponga standing there talking about his upbringing in New Zealand or something like that yeah, as an example. Right. Like that that's whole right. build-up and before an origin, it's the same. Like without all of that and, and, the, and the sort of, um, not only the halo, but the opposite of the halo. Yeah, yeah, yeah the opposite right. of the halo. You got the bad game. You know, you, Ben Hunt took Brisbane to a grand final and then all of a sudden the halo was gone. Mm. And he had the halo that year for that run. And when it went, both sides of that, they could probably, there'd probably be a lot said for this era where they probably got a million dickheads in the pub coming up wanting to have a chat and yelling at them and all that. But there wasn't that same sort of, you are a god or you are, you are a disgrace who. Yeah, you are, a, born, you are a you good know? person yeah. or you are a bad person based on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah, it. It's funny. Right. I just, um, yeah. It's just funny that I, to have seen that and gone. Hang on, <laughs> I never knew anything yeah. about this. You know, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you're right. It just isn't, is it? It's it's. No. You can't get away with doing stuff like that now and not be be remembered or or have it talked about for you, even if you're not talking about it. Really, can you? Like, it's no. it would, yeah, wouldn't be possible. It, no, that's right. He does. Uh, he does have. He does have the premiership rings, though. I know that he's got the he's got the St George premiership rings from seventy seven and seventy nine. That's not a bad that's fantastic. Flex. It's not a bad flex down the pub, is it? Like he sort of if you chuck the you chuck the. Did you wear from, I think he. I have seen him wearing them, but I every now and again. But they're not. They're not the, the big bulky ones like they get now. But yeah. I just. I just think it's a like if you were down the pub. Mm. You sort of like got the premier. I I would never take it off if I had a premiership ring. No, like no. I does he have his jersey? Know. Question. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. You should ask him. Jersey of the yeah. week page. If we get that up, we'll get, a, actually, we'll, we'll, get, get we'll get our jersey of the week. We'll get a sort of premiership from the drawn grand final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. we'll get a picture of that on the page. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny, isn't it? It's just um, <clears throat> yeah. It, it it just tells you something about that era, I suppose. A lot of whenever you meet people who played around that time, you you just would never know. They just there's a romanticizing of going to work and going to training twice a week after work and then playing but for all the romanticizing of it there is something nice about it and it is mm. a different feel isn't it that for all the fact that you know it is one of those in a way it's sort of become like a scrum thing whenever anything goes wrong now you just hark back to when they had jobs like it's an answer to something which yeah. i'm sure it isn't and i'm sure plenty of people miss that you know every time someone gets in trouble now you hark back to when they had jobs as if people back then weren't doing stupid things. But like yeah. all, for all that aside and the romanticizing aside, there is something fundamentally nice and different about yeah. it. Isn't there? That's right. It, as opposed to today, this global sports star, they're becoming a bit all like um, shit versions of Michael Jordan, you know, like they're all this shit wound up, like built up superstar yeah, yeah, image yeah. around the whole person, not around yeah. them playing their sport, but this whole this superstar, this you're a global kind of, superstar, you're a brand kind of and you're a or, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Without that, there's something nice about it. Now, Rex, it, it's very yeah. clear to me, it becomes very clear once extra time starts that given that there hasn't been a, a drawn grand final in, in 69 years of professional rugby league in New South Wales, um, Rex has no idea what's going to happen now. And uh, yeah. he tries his best, he, he doesn't, he, he tries his best to get a handle on it and is wrong repeatedly. Uh, he tosses in up different first... ways though. In yes. Different ways. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So there's talk at one point of the, he doesn't, he, I'm not sure he's totally sure if there will even be extra time. Then he says, not initially, <clears throat> he's not sure. No, no. Then he says, there's going to be 10 minutes each way. And if there's no result, well, I don't know what will happen. Then he says this will be 10 minutes each way. And if there's no result, they'll play another five minutes each way, which I'm very keen on. He then seems to suggest that we could be here. We could be here until dark. 
suggesting that they'll just play until there's a result. Uh, and finally, after quite some time, they finally, word gets up that, uh, that there will be a replay if there's no result. But even then, he's not sure. And after full time of extra time, he just stops commentating and listens to, the ground, and listens to the ground announcer to reveal what will happen now after 100 minutes of football. Yeah, um, the I've got the timing of this. Yeah. He first stumbles upon the correct rule. So if you were watching this grand final on TV, the moment yeah. he stumbles on the correct rule is with four minutes left of extra time. <laughs> so in of a 20-minute extra time, 10 each it's way, um, there is four minutes left in that time. So for the, And I think St. George had a, their first field goal shot with maybe five or six left. So yeah. you've at, even got to really watch. I know that if they had a kicked it, there'd still be the same amount of time left and someone behind. But you've managed to see a field goal attempt and still not quite known like what it means because he kept getting the rules wrong like for all you know it doesn't end in 10 minutes because he's got it wrong it doesn't end in five six minutes because he's got it wrong so many times you can't yeah. really have any confidence no, you don't there's know an exchange in there yeah, yeah. That you're not yeah you're not sure what this means and and forgetting the field goal when they're attacking the line you're still not sure what it means or what what the result is but there's an exchange in there i think it, it sums it up well um he goes oh there's a suggestion of extra time 10 minutes each way there's a suggestion that tagged my interest because of the idea that there's a suggestion of what the there's rule sort of might like, be. There's like, a lot of rumour and innuendo yeah. about what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes, but then there'll be... Um, then he sideline goes and he goes, look, can we get a ruling on this? And he keeps blaming the other guy for not knowing yeah, the director, what he doesn't know. The, the director yeah, the director of the broadcast, yeah. So he gets... The, the other commentator busts in and says, yeah, there's going to be 10 minutes each way. And then Rex goes, and what if it's still tied? And he goes, well, then there'll be an extra five minutes each way. And he goes, what if it's still tied then? And then he goes... Who knows? Like from the side, like, so yeah, he's yeah, coming yeah. going, yeah, yeah, I've got the download on what happens here. It's going to be 10 each way, then what? Five each way, then what? Well, who knows? Like, well, I love really extra time. I, I love the extra time formats because they... Why would it be five each way I after the... What would be the point of that? I don't know. Why did it take... So, why did it take till Super League to work out? Now, I'm a big believer in the regular season for just having draws. Yes. Um, I've always felt sure that. But why did it take... Super League to come up with basically the golden point concept that if you're going to split them, that you should just at some point come to a point wins it. You can't just have these endless weird setups yeah. of replays well, or periods of extra time. Yeah. yeah like if you've know. got to have it decided, like at some point you just need to say, well, you need to score to win the game. And it'll yeah, be over. Rex spends a lot of time it's... saying someone has to win today and then eventually stumbles upon the fact that there will be a replay. It's funny that. There are only two field goal or three field goal shots in the whole of extra time. Two of them taken by Rod Reddy, um, which, which I must say, I was very glad to see. One of them he doesn't hit too bad. Um, the second one grubbers along the ground. And uh, it's Quirk off the bench, Tony Quirk, who has a shot from the quarter line and hits the post with four minutes to go in extra time. How dramatic is this? Because he doesn't just hit the post. Yeah, so what happens? So, t- so they get the ball. It's the only time that there's a, a good field goal attempt or a good field goal setup, really. They swing it back to Quirk. He has the shot from, a qu- from the quarter line. It hits the upright. It looks for all money like it's going over. I know that it doesn't go over, and I still thought it was going over. It hits the post. It bounces back into the arms of Steve Edge, who goes over the line to score, and the referee calls it back because he is, of course, offside. In uh, front of the kicker. Mm. But for just a moment. It feels like Steve Edge has scored the try to win the grand final off a kick off the post. You talk about hype, and that's that, 
happen now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the grand final. And someone's banged it in the upright and then the back rower or hooker or whatever's caught it and put it down. And then you But going, even just the banging oh, into the upright, oh. right? Like, yeah. Imagine, yeah. imagine if St. George don't go on to win the replay. Yeah. But that's the moment, isn't it? Like, they also miss a heap yeah. of goals, but, like, that's the moment. Um, and then they get a penalty at the scrum. They get a scrum penalty in extra time with, like, a minute to go. Uh, and and it's uh, it's Chapman, the winger, who steps up to take it from 30 out, out wide. You'd have to be... It, this would have been an incredible kick if it had gone over. What it actually is is one of the all-time great shanks, uh, which lands on about the 10... Uh, it'd be a good kick now. It was pretty wide and pretty yeah, deep. Yeah. It like, would it'd be, be a pretty good kick, kick now to win a game. Yeah. Yeah. Kickable, but not like, like I think a lot of the kickers would struggle to kick that like 35 yeah. sort of out, maybe halfway, three quarters to the sideline. A lot of them are accurate, but that's a pretty big boot. You got to kick it long and hit it. Yeah. Um, just on the accord, just one more thing from extra time. Mick Cronin yeah. uh, throws a flick pass to no one in his own half in extra time. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to record looking for that. the scrum. Looking, possibly, looking for the scrum. <laughs> possibly playing for a scrum. Yeah. yeah. But it it's just um it's an incredible the the, the extra time is, is not like any extra time we see now, you know, like they still more or less play the way they do and then occasionally as an afterthought, try and pop a field goal over. Uh, but that's it and it's nine all and Rex is sticking his head out the window trying to hear what the PA says about what happens now. That is so um, funny. Like in a grand final, having the commentary team just scrambling the entire... Like it took them 14 minutes to nail the rule and they weren't sure it was right. So you got 14 minutes of the 20 a lot of minutes with them just scrambling, giving like various explanations for what's going to happen. And presumably no one at the ground would have known either. No, that's right. Because they'd never Hunters happened. Hunters would have known. Yeah. No. Why, was it, why would you design... A, anyway, I mean, the AFL did this until recently. There was a replay sort of under yeah, 10 years ago. But, yeah. but, but I just don't understand... Um, well, why? Why you would? Why you would? Not a bad result for the, the game. Not a bad result for the New South Wales Rugby League because forty-seven thousand eight hundred twenty-eight turned up the following Saturday, which is well, fewer, that might be why. Yeah. Obviously, fewer than the uh, fewer than the the first grade game, but uh, I suspect the rule just never got changed because it never happened. This is the first one ever, you know. Um, you still got to write it at one point. I just that's it, true. I'm not, I'm not sure that just because it was 1908, that was a sensible idea to just like start again from the ground. I just still think that it was. It's not as if that that it became outdated or quaint. It just at no, no point should you replay the game. Been, yeah, just, yeah, but, but you I mean you're right. It, they, they when did they change it? I'm not sure, but they because it happened again. So it this happened didn't again. The action. They didn't. They yeah. didn't change it as a result of this because it happened the following no. year, as we'll discuss next week. Everybody knows yeah. what happened in the replay, of course, in front of 47,828. A week later. St. George 22, Parramatta nil in a, uh, a violent and spiteful game that was only going one way. Bailey, Jansen and Stone with the tries for St. George. Lord Ted kicked six from seven. Oh, good day. Yeah, good day. Which is good because he, he can't have been feeling too well. He got taken off the field, knocked out twice. So it's good that he like that helped him kick goals the following week. Yeah, it was a much, much, much better shooter the following yeah. week. Um, what do you think the feeling would have been at full time? Just so this, I looked. At, I tried to get a gauge of the players. Some of them weren't sure what was going to happen. I could tell that. Yeah. Um, mm. And some of them, I, it just looked like maybe uh, anticlimactic. Would that be the right feeling for the yeah. players? I don't know she what the crowd felt. I couldn't get a sense of that. But you, I, there was <laughs> just this sense that like you've built yourself up for the biggest day of your, you know, your life for some of them, and mm. you, you could have it's redemption. Again. Yeah, Parramatta just lost the year before, so it's a bit of a redemption for them to make it back, and they've struck coming back. From nine nil and to fight through this, and then you're like, oh, okay, it's another game. Like it means mm. like nothing has been decided. Um, at least in a draw in a regular season game, you have got a point and leave. Like what this is is, we came here to win the grand final, and we're just we're not 
anywhere. We're, we're, no, we're back to where we were last Sunday. Yeah. 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 yeah it's just yeah, strange. It's yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I think um, it, 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 as a supporter as well, like, oh, God, I've got to go through this again, especially for oh, St. George. I, but, oh. Especially for St. George, because they, you know, they had they hadn't had done enough to win, you know, like nine nil in front of half time. They led all the way through the second half. Like they would have felt that they had botched it and they would have to do very well to get into that position again. And they yeah. had all the chances to win. They had all the chances time. to all win. The field goals yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like on Saturday night, I think they feel that they, you know, they did enough to win and didn't and now have to climb the mountain again next Saturday. Uh, Parramatta could feel they got out of jail and gave themselves another chance. Like we did, we, you know, have that nine nil, we might've taken yeah, a replay. We'd have taken you know? a replay at halftime. Yeah. yeah, yeah I reckon. Yeah. Uh, now I, I don't know about you. I really enjoyed watching this as strange and mm. baffling as it was at times. Is there, You want to talk a little bit about Ray Price, I think. Yeah, look, I thought I'd just finish off with him this week as sort of someone of interest. Um, I think he's another one of these places. He's very well remembered, but he's probably really well remembered only amongst the sort of, um, really, you know, niche sort of nuffy rugby league community. Like those people tell you the sort of people that Price we, was. The sort of people are, that we cater yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. And the sort of Our people we are. But yeah. Yeah. But, but that's right. Is I think the sort of people I don't need to tell this to. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. but like as a rule, I think when you start talking about the best players ever, he gets left off the list a little bit. He doesn't get really thrown up as an immortal. He doesn't get taught. When you talk Gordon Tallis and Jason Taumalolo and Brad Clyde, who's the best back rower and lock and all this, he probably doesn't come up that much. Mm. And his record's quite astounding. So played 259 games for Parramatta and 22 tests. Played for the Wallabies before he came across mm. to Julian International. Um, I, I just want to take you through his career because there's a few things in particular that make it quite remarkable. Mm. Um, obviously, the obvious thing is that he played in seven grand finals in his 11 seasons. Um, and he won it's one, wild. two, four. Um, yeah, he won one, two, four of them. Yeah. So he's won four grand finals in and, and played in seven in 11 years. He's That's making it nearly every second year. Yeah. Um, Parramatta had never made a grand final when he got there. He arrived in 76. Uh, yep. They'd never made a grand final. We've talked about how weak they were. Uh, they went to a grand final immediately. Um, I just want to point out that that 76 side and the 70, 70, 77 side here don't have Peter Sterling. They don't have Brett Kenny. It's not this team. Yeah. They're quite a few years away at this point. Um, Sterling's a couple away and Kenny's quite a while away, actually. Um, and they... So this isn't... Sterlow and Kenny, this is a team that never really had much success and he's walked into them. They make two grand finals in a row. He's the best player on the field. Um, I mean, technically played eight grand finals if you count the replay. But he plays, he's, the, in my opinion, the best player in the game in this game. Um, he's the best player on the field for them, no question. Mm. And he's a very large reason that they got out of jail. Uh, and he's the only source of attack in the extra time. The only guy who gives him any hope a few times is him. Um, then, obviously, in the 80s, they get Sterling and Kenny, and they win 81, 82, 83, and, and 86, with the runners-up in 84. So what I want to point out here is that he wins... Sorry, he makes two grand finals there in a club that had never had success without Kenny and Sterling. He then comes into the side, and they have all these wins in a grand final. He retires in 86. Mm. Um, Parramatta not only, despite having Kenny and Sterling, not only do they not win or make another grand final, they don't make the semi-finals again for Kenny and Sterling's wow. career. They they go they win the grand final in eighty six. They come seventh in eighty seven, eleventh in eighty eight, 
ninth in 89, eighth in 90, and then in 91, 92, they come 15th in two years in a row. Those two years, Sturlow did play one game. He was injured yeah. those two years, one game each year. But he was there in 90, he played 20 games. Um, and so they've gone 7th, 11th, 9th, 8th. Now, that's not just solely on those guys. That, you know, Cronin retired as well, and teams break apart a bit. But yeah, the, people get the, older. The fact and, yeah. That, yeah, of course. But 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 Sterling retired at 32. So Sterling's in his 20s in the mm. late, that 87 period. He's still in his 20s. Brett Kenny's in his 20s. They're yeah. still in their 20s. And they have, you know, sort of the equivalent, I suppose, of, you know, of having Kiri and Kronk or having, um, you know, Foran and Cherry Evans. Like these sorts of, like the two of the better halves or great halves in the competition. Langer and Walters would be a good example. Like it's, it, it, do you think it's hard to imagine Langer and Walters playing... Um, 80, so one, two, three, four, at least six years, but four in a row where no one was hurt. Four years and having Langer and Walters not make the finals all of those years because Webke or Talis retired, not make the finals. Like, that's a yeah, big it's drop hard off. to imagine. Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, it does. And, the, the message that comes out of that, I guess, is that um, Price won without some of those gun Parramatta players, but they never won without him. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's 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 not dismissing anyone else's influence. What it, what it's doing is is that this guy was a winner. This is a guy who came into an unsuccessful club and made grand finals without. When you look through that team, there's no one in there that many people remember apart from him, apart from Cronin. Oh, from this '77 um, side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yep. There's not people. People don't remember players from that 76, 77 era, except for him and Cronin. So he went into a side that doesn't have all-time great players. I'm sure they had very good players, but they're, they're not all-time great. He drags them into two grand finals. He's very strong in them. He then gets that help, and he's a guy that was able to win consistently when he had those players around him. He was the sort of player that won those competitions. And when those players lost him, they just lost that bit of something that that team had. Uh, and I just think that speaks to his influence and how influential he was. We saw in this game what he could do on the field. Um, and I, I just think, I think there's very few players like this. When you look at influence that they can have on a squad that goes maybe as a forward, that goes beyond the metres or the tackles, the, the fact they can just be, there's these few guys in history that are just winners. Um, Gordon Callis was a guy who would win rugby league games and yeah. win big games and yeah. do things for you. And he'd lead team and it took players with them. Gordon Tallis took guys with him. Ben Kennedy is one that was very much like that. He came into a Newcastle club that had always been a bit flaky. And they were, when he was in that team, they went to another level. They became a great side, not a very good side. And he, they used to win games because he was there and because of him taking people with them. Mm. Um, he went to Manly and the Knights immediately weren't in the finals. And, and Ben Kennedy made Manly's greatest ever team off two seasons at the club and dragged a team that had been out of the finals for years into them. And, Sam Burgess is one at South, I think, that you look at Sam Burgess at his best, the influence he could have on that team that goes beyond his hit-ups and tackles, just him, the yeah. way he led them and what he did is they were so much lesser without him. And that's, halfbacks can be like that, but forwards, they are such a rare breed. And when you look at this guy's record, when you look at walking into the club and doing what he did, and you look at what they achieved with him and you look at the extent of the drop without him, not first yep. to third, sort of to seventh, 11th, ninth, eighth, I think... Yep that he deserves a lot of credit as one of the truly outstanding players yep. um, of his era. And, and he should be recognised for that. Um, just lastly on him, one little stat for you, I think people probably won't know about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Mr. Perpetual Motion and all this. So we know he was fit. We know he was, a, you know, always on the ball and all tackling. Have a go at his record from 76 to 79. 
12 tries in 76, 10 in 77, 11 in 78, uh, 10 in 79 in an era mm. of um, where, you know, and he dropped off later to two a seasons up in an era where it was people were winning games 10-6 and all this sort of stuff yeah, in the yeah. grand final he, where there's one try each. Well, the top try scoring every second week. Yeah. St. George's scoring. Try, I think St. George's top try scorer in 77 was uh, scored 13. If that's any guy. Yeah, so there you go. So he's he's up there scoring every second week at lock forward whilst yeah. making all these tackles and runs yeah. and doing this stuff. He uh, obviously lost a bit of that later. He was scoring two and three late in his career and was relying on some of his other traits as he probably slowed down. But mm. I, I think he's one of the mm-hmm. game's truly great players and truly great winners and isn't coming up in those... I think when you have those conversations with the great locks or the great, even the great leaders as forwards, um, you'll get Arthur Beats and come up, you'll get Talis, you'll get but you're not quite getting him in those, and he should be. He should be right up in those conversations. It's one of the outstanding records, and their record before and after him only goes to further the sort of player he was, obviously, and the influence he had on his teammates. There you go. People, the, 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 the man has spoken. Uh, people, there is a bit of a, there's a bit of a community out there who enjoy those bits of uh, weekly historical revisionism from you, Gazzy. Enjoy this mm. little kind of, those little diatribes trying to correct the record or bring someone up or, uh, you know, talk about someone who should be remembered. So I'm glad that you've been able to get that off your chest about Ray Price. I, I agree, you've made the case very well. Um, it, he was. Uh, you you can see in this game just from just from this game some of the things that made him a great player, uh, and the fact that he ended up, you know, getting them into uh, getting them into extra time with a bit of play that is not something he's remembered for. Like it was a bit of attacking play with a pass over his head, which is not something people associate with Ray Price, but that's what he produced in like with three minutes to go in a grand final when they were three points behind. Um, Anything else to add? I think we've, uh, I think we've covered the 77, uh, the 77 draw in exhaustive detail. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm fairly keen to butter up again next week for 78. See you in 78, mate. See you in 78, listeners. Until next time, it's Morgan Campbell and Luke Garrity signing off from the cemetery. Jansen. Up to halfway. You can see the extent of the breeze from the paper blowing along the ground. All the coloured paper and there's Goodwin. Goodwin has smacked their bottoms. It's a chase. It's a chase. He'll win it. It's a try. Is it? Yes. It's a good one, but a brilliant. because it happened very close to the netball line. Watch it. And we'll slow it right down in the dying seconds. Goodwin turned man around. He smacked their bottoms with a beautiful bit of football early. Now watch how close the ball goes to the netball line. Here he comes. It's bouncing end on end. There it is. Does he get it cleanly down? Yes, indeed. A fair try. Good decision, Gary Cook. And there's a fella who's a little bit happy about proceedings. Harry Barr. That is absolutely horrifying for Parramatta with a minute or so to go to half time. Before we cut out from here, let's take them Saints on down one more time. Now I win the Saints. Saints, yes, I found. <laughs>